0: What's up all you beautiful people? It's your boy Hobart. How's it going? February. Almost done. We're almost through it. It's been a month, that's for sure. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's starting to feel like spring slash summer, at least here in the East Bay, this week has been so warm and balmy and... Just, you know, a lot of shirts off weather type stuff, which I've been digging, even though I know it's probably global warming related. Um, but uh, but yeah, life life is cruising along. We got some changes in the works. My, my brother, Tony, aka The Chone, is actually going to be moving out. On the 1st, which is kind of a bummer, but he's moving into this really sweet studio just a couple blocks nearby. And is going to be, you know, having his whole music studio set up over there. So, I get it. I'm sad to see him go, but I'm also stoked for him to open this new chapter of his creative path. Um, But we're about to have a new roomie in the mix. uh, My my buddy Craig. And uh, so... I'm excited to have some new blood in the scene, and uh, hopefully, you know, as things start to open up more, we'll, we'll be able to build more and more of a, of a social environment in in this beautiful property we live on. Um, yeah, March is almost upon us, and I'm excited for the, for the next month and for this year, and things are in the mix. Uh, we're... we're been doing a lot of podcasts lately. I, I feel like it's it's been really cool to have a couple in the chamber, as it were. I got a got another one that's all set and ready to release too. I'm gonna try to keep this consistency up, and I've got some exciting guests for y'all on the horizon as we continue to try to build this thing. You know, it's my goal this year to really push this podcast out there and get the numbers up, um, and really take an honest swing at it because I love doing this. This is like becoming more and more clear, uh, the kind of pri- primary art I want to be focusing on. And um, certainly all y'all's support, even just by listening, is is huge in that regard, and as well as the word of mouth, spreading the word. Yeah, so my guest today has the distinction of being the most... I would say scientific guest to date on the Bartcast. Um, she is my friend, Alyssa Borman. Uh, she's a molecular biologist and doctoral candidate at the UC, at UC Berkeley. And, uh, is works in the dark, Dr. Craig Miller research group on, uh, studying fish teeth actually. And, uh, the the implications with regards to tissue regeneration and, uh, yeah, it was, it's just, uh, it's something that I don't think I've ever thought about, <laughs> but it's really cool. Uh, it was really cool to learn about it and to hear, um, the scientist talking about her journey through the academic system, um, what it's like to go through that. And then, uh, the work that she's doing. And, and I think, you know, just, just for a layman like myself to, to be able to engage with this person, um, this scientist about research, the philosophy behind it, as well as the technical aspects of it. Um, super smart, uh, intellect. That's so fun to interact with. Um, yeah, our conversation we kind of start talking about her research and her background, and then we move from there into a little bit more about um, traveling. She's she's a van lifer, so we talk about you know the impetus to to get into that world and how she fell into it and what she's doing uh, moving forward with that, her ambitions of, of being a van traveler, and the philosophy behind that. And then the last part of this conversation, we get into uh, talking about finance, which I found particularly interesting. It's something that I think of more and more in my life and and wonder about, and it still is a, a very foreign topic for me um, and not without its intimidation factor. And Alyssa was just so gracious and friendly and excited to explain how the system works to me and uh I was I'm really grateful for that uh for that exposure to to the topic in such a, a kind and open way and you know it's one of the coolest things about doing this podcast is just the range of experiences and realities um that I get to dip my toe into with each guest everybody's bringing a wisdom base and uh you know their own kind of mandala of symbols that are what's exciting them in their life and i have my own and it kind of gives me this opportunity to pick and choose sort of buffet style with these little like you know curiosity nuggets and um and so with with this you know that definitely started it, it, Got me thinking about like, oh, well, maybe I could, maybe the investing game is something that would, would be fun and interesting to think about. I know long-term, uh, you know, financial stability is a huge ambition of mine. And so this seems to, uh, be an important, uh, part of that and something worth looking into, um, you know, coming from a low income background, single mom, never really quite thought much about that. It's always been very mysterious to me so hearing someone like Alyssa talk about it with such excitement in her voice um someone I consider a peer you know it it uh it got my my gears turning and uh you know now i've been it's been in my mind of late um the last thing I'll say is just that you know as I continue to work on You know, being a better podcaster and putting on an ever-increasing quality of production. Uh, Did have some technical issues on this one. Um, I've kind of been able to narrow it down. It's, You know, we have a shoestring budget here on the Bartcast. And right now I've been using these two mics that my brother Tony was so uh, gracious to let me borrow. One of them's a SM seven B, which is just like the podcasting mic. If you look at, uh, video podcasts, a lot of them are using that, you know, this kind of really just crisp black microphone. Um, it's, it's a dynamic mic. It's, it, 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 uh, it's really good at just picking up the voice, whatever's close to it and, and not the room tone and um it's what michael jackson recorded thriller on it's like the mic they're very expensive and uh you know the other mic that i have to work with right now is what's called a condenser mic which does pick up more of the ambient noise and the one that i have you know i have been having these issues come up with it so unfortunately today uh there is there may be a little bit of buzzing like lo- like a low hum in the background um and i'm do, i did my best to to try to fix it in post and with, with with an eq but i uh, just wanted to put that out there you know if you hear a little buzzing you don't have a tumor it's my bad <laughs> and i hope that it's not too distracting and that it doesn't take away from this wonderful conversation and know that i'm aware of it and i'm working to uh to improve and you know, a new mic is definitely at the top of my list of, of investments I want to make into this podcast, and we'll be trying to get that replaced as soon as I can afford it. So um, hope hope y'all are able to get through it and that it's not too much. I, I am going to try to fix it more w- with the EQ, but, uh, but just wanted to give y'all the heads up. So without further ado, let me ad- introduce to you my friend Alyssa Borman. Scientist extraordinaire on this episode 25 of the Bartcast. Great to hear from you. What a surprise. revelatory state of mind where you feel seen. I just want you to be feel seen <laughs> when you come on the Bartcast. In
1: all areas of your life.
0: Yeah, the most really intimate moments. It's really important to me that my guests feel seen, feel heard. <laughs> like, uh, you know, that you're able to feel like uh, your most intimate self has been revealed. <laughs> but yeah, what's up, Alyssa?
1: What is up? Um. Yeah, I've just been working a lot on my project, mm-hmm. uh, which is what you asked me to come on here and talk about. Yeah, you were super interested in that.
0: I was super, <laughs> mega, ultra interested, and in, no, and and I I definitely am. I jest, but um, we were texting and just talking, and I was like, "Man, this is a really cool, interesting person that's doing." really amazing research that's like so above my head and you might be the first I'm trying to think you might be the first official scientist <laughs> that we've had on the Bartcast here um so yeah you are the most learned <laughs> in the official academic channels uh on the Bartcast. so that's a pretty cool distinction to have you know
1: well, thank you. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It actually took me it took me a while before I could even label myself as being a scientist. Like after doing, you know, so many years of science in undergrad and graduating with my bachelors of science and then coming to graduate school at U C Berkeley. Yeah. To pursue science. Like I still I was like, Oh, but I don't I'm not a scientist until, you know, I have the degree, right? Until I have the PhD.
0: Gotta get those three um, letters. It's not official until you do, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. And so it wasn't until after I passed my qualifying exam that I like felt like I earned the title of being a scientist. Mm. Of just you know standing in front of a panel of professionals <laughs> in their field, being grilled mm-hmm. on subjects you know within the scope of your project and outside of the scope of your project, and being able to design experiments. Mm.
0: Um, so how do you? How do you identify as a scientist? How are you identified as a scientist? What, what is your field? What is your title? What do you how do we think how should we think of you in the in the world of uh, knowledge gleaning?
1: <laughs> yeah, so I am a evolutionary developmental biologist. Um so I study fish teeth. <laughs> <laughs> and how they regenerate?
0: That's the that's the uh, that's the soundbite right there. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> um, and so fish have teeth. That's like the first thing that that kind of blows people away. Is like, wait, fish have teeth? Mm-hmm. And they regenerate. And I'm like, and then the next question I ask, um, you know, when I'm talking to my students, is, you know, what's what's a good example of fish of, of fish teeth regenerating? Mm. Can you give me one?
0: I would think that, okay, good example of fish teeth regenerating, sharks. Yeah,
1: Yeah. (laughs) that's a common one, right? Shark teeth. Um, They lose a lot of teeth, right? They lose a lot of teeth, and they have rows of teeth, and they have tooth families, and it's actually a pretty well-organized replacement, and it's all in their oral jaw. Um, but what's interesting, which I learned you know, after studying fish, is that they have more than one jaw.
0: When you said oral jaws, like other, other jaws? Yeah, so there's
1: other jaws. So they have an oral jaw, which is what we think of as being their normal like mouth. Mm-hmm. And then they have a pharyngeal jaw, which you can think of as being towards the back of the throat. Oh. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's what they have, like uh, an upper and lower pharyngeal jaw. And mm-hmm. so we think that... The oral jaw is used for, like, grabbing on the prey. And then the pharyngeal jaw is used for actually, like, mastication and, like, chewing it. Interesting. Um, is that
0: when you, like, I feel like when I see, like, a great white in those ultra slow-mo shots, it almost seems like it, its, like, mouth opens and then there's, like, a secondary mouth that, like, you know what I mean? There's, like, a membrane almost that folds back. Like, I'd see these sharks <laughs> come in and it's, like, this very, like, angular head. But then it's almost like it peels back, and then there's like a—that's when the bite happens.
1: Yeah, it's pretty—it's pretty crazy. There's a cool there's a cool video on YouTube of a moray eel and that kind of does this like cartoon animation of what they think of being um, that kind of action of this mm-hmm. pharyngeal jaw, almost coming through and then kind of uh, interacting with whatever's coming in the mouth.
0: Can you explain the uh, what that the etymology? What what does pharyngeal mean?
1: I can't I think of it as like pharynx or like throat. Gotcha. Um yeah. So it's a pH. Yeah, yeah, okay.
0: yeah. Sorry, I got my phone because I wanted to <laughs> I felt like there was an apropos shout out to give, which is um what is it? I'm following Damn it. I'm following a. The... there's a great uh Instagram account called Shark. <laughs> that's just it's just literally videos and photos of like badass sharks (laughs) it was like one of those every now and then you get hit with like an account where you're like fuck yeah like i'll look at sharks when they come up on my feed (laughs) so you know not to get you off track but i just wanted to give them a shout out if great follow out there to all y'all just shark yeah or sharks it's sharks great instagram account um but yeah that's Fangirl jaws.
1: Yeah, well, and and just like regenerating teeth in general, and it's mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's pretty interesting to think about different organisms that do regenerate their teeth. Like geckos regenerate their teeth. Uh,
0: Not alligators, just the tail, huh? yeah,
1: alligators regenerate their teeth. Um, mice, mice are interesting. They just like have one like their incisor teeth is just like always growing, and that's why they have to knot down. That's why rodents have to knot down. But then when you get to mammals and like humans like we just we just replace our teeth once. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right? And if you actually go back in like the um fossil record um there's evidence to suggest that the ancestral phenotype for a dentition is continuous tooth replacement. And somewhere along the evolutionary timeline we actually lost the ability to continuously replace our teeth.
0: Interesting. So
1: then the question is, okay, well if we Used to have the machinery, you know, to turn it to turn it on continuously. And we at least know that we have the machinery to replace it once. Can we go back in and turn it on again? Right. So when we're in our old age and our teeth start falling out if we don't take care of them, can we turn that machinery back on to replace our teeth again?
0: So like gene therapy is the new dentistry. And yeah, yeah. My dad could have used that for sure. <laughs> I think at the end he had maybe three <laughs> left. And uh he totally would have been a beneficiary of that and it's it to me it begs the question what is the evolutionary advantage for not replacing your teeth you know like why was that trait selected for why why did the gene cease to be expressed uh, as we d- evolved you know as, as hominids like where you know there had to there had to be some sort of advantage right to to not replacing your teeth
1: yeah. I mean, our teeth are more specialized, at least as far as like the organism that I'm working in. All the teeth seem to be the same in in terms of like, you know, we have our like canine teeth and our molars that that perform very specific functions for like tearing off stuff and um and then being able to chew it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but that yeah, that's a good question. Like is it our diet? It is kind of like energy consuming Mm. and like not great. Like if we were to lose our teeth and have to replace them. I grew back
0: three molars. I'm telling you, I I just had no energy. I was just...
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And also like the space in our mouth Mm -hmm. to be able to have, like if you think of sharks and how they have tooth families... Where you have like the older tooth and then the baby tooth, and they grow in kind of rows, mm-hmm. and we also just kind of don't have the space, <laughs> right, to do that.
0: My brother had a snaggle tooth growing up, you know, like an extra row. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I
1: yeah. Mean,
0: I've definitely known a couple people that had that, that little kind of shark tooth vibe going. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, and you learn, you know, anyone who's had their mold, their wisdom teeth out. It's part of that education when you're getting that those cut out of you is that, whoa, our... <laughs> we used to be, you know, we used to lose teeth and then the, they would push together to accommodate. You'd have more space in your mouth. And it's just, it was weird to me when I got my wisdom teeth out that like, whoa, like, like the, like the, the rhetoric that I was getting hit with is like humans, basic surgery required, you know, that there was like a necessary surgery, like just even though I was healthy,
1: I know. I had to have
0: this thing cut out of my mouth.
1: Yeah. It was kind of strange. Yeah. I tried to keep mine. Like I felt them growing in mm-hmm. and I was like, no, like these these <laughs> belong in my body. So I made take my these. Feet. Yeah. I made these. I want to keep them, but it hurt. Yeah. They were coming in diagonal and mm. I just, it got to the point where I kept on putting like the, was it the benzocaine, Like the get it, Walgreens. Mm-hmm. And I kept on just like putting it on there as like a, a band-aid and i was like this is not a system." your teeth
0: are fix. very straight though <laughs> because that's always the fear they're like you're gonna have crooked teeth and no one will love you you know like that's like the scare story that they give you you know it's like if your teeth you know makes a little sense like i think teeth especially in this country are like a calling card if you will like, we oh really, yeah we like more than other parts of the world we really judge people on their on their teeth and their in smile. this country and yeah. i was when I was in India, I was uh, hanging out with my friend, shout out Sandeep, who's amazing, lovely, kind, the most caring person I've ever met, would invite, he did do this, invite like a random 50-year-old woman on the train to come stay at his house. Uh, when I was coming to stay too, ended up having to like share a bed with this old 50-year-old woman <laughs> who was like snoring and stuff. it's just part of the travel experience, Um, old French lady but uh but he had like you know he had some pretty gnarly teeth black gum kind of stuff going on and i remember being like hey man like there's this great thing called flossing yeah and i like you know trying not to like come at it from a place of superiority or anything but just from like hey i want you to take care of yourself and you know he was such a a fan of like tech culture and elon musk and you know you wanted to go into business and be an influencer and stuff and i was like well if you're gonna do it in america the sad truth is like we really judge people about by their teeth and it's not saying it's right but it is the reality and so i like convinced him to get a sonicare and like taught him how to do flossing and like we started like flossing every night when i was staying with him and uh and i think he's still doing it i hope you are out there sandeep you know tooth health. Is is definitely a something everyone can appreciate and enjoy, um, because we can't grow them back.
1: Yeah, yeah, you can't you can't grow them back, so you have to take good care of them, and you also don't want that like plaque building up mm-hmm. <laughs> either. You want to keep them healthy. Definitely want to floss. Right. Definitely want to brush your teeth.
0: Um, you know, I'm overdue for. a... For my cleaning with COVID and stuff, it's one of the things that got pushed.
1: Oh, I'm going on Wednesday. Nice. I know, <laughs> I, I need to text them back and be like, "Yeah, <laughs> let's make an appointment. They, they reached out to me. Yeah.
0: Where do you, do you have a local spot you like?
1: I go to Total Health Dental Care. It's actually They're right awesome. around the mm-hmm. corner from my house. Oh, yeah. Have you
0: used their mouthwash? It's so good, the natural mouthwash. I haven't. They used to give you a haven't. free bottle with a consultation. Oh, nice. But, uh... I feel like finding a good good dentist is kind of like finding a good mechanic.
1: Yeah, once you find one, you stick to it. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I had a really good one. I used to go to Sharon Albright, and um, and then they stopped taking my insurance. Mm. But it was like it was an experience. They had like, if you wanted to watch Netflix, if you wanted to listen to your Spotify, they Mm -hmm. had noise canceling headphones. (laughs) Like they had a little fountain. Yeah, (laughs) it was like going to the spa. All the gimmicks.
0: The, uh, yeah. So your so total health takes your insurance. Yes. What, what kind of insurance do you
1: have? I have student health insurance. Uh-huh. Yeah, but it doesn't cover everything. Like mm-hmm. I, I grind my teeth, like I think most people yeah, do, no and I tried to get because again I want to take care of my teeth. Um, and it doesn't cover it.
0: Hmm. That's it's, expensive too. It is expensive. It's I like need over a thousand dollars to, $1, yeah, to get to do like
1: that. to get this like plastic thing that you put in your mouth to sleep yeah but
0: well that's awesome well to jump back into talking about your field
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, what made you decide to study fish teeth
1: yeah so funny story I did not you know as a little kid think when I grew up I want to be a scientist and study fish teeth <laughs> although although a lot of little girls will say you know they want to do oceanography and stuff or marine sciences Um, I actually wanted to be an actress. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I did that uh, for a little bit in undergrad before switching to biochemistry. Um, And I'm like, well, but what do I do with a science degree? And then that's how I got involved in research. Um, Did a bunch of different things. I studied C. elegans, which are like a common worm for research. And I studied antioxidants in worms. And then um, I also did some chemistry research in Thailand where I studied tea leaves. Ooh. Yeah. As, so you can read the future? No, actually <laughs> we were trying to use it to do a color metric assay for determining determining iron concentrations in like water samples. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it that that project was really cool because in like, like hun, for hundreds of years in like Thai history... Like, the grandmothers, before they would do the the washing, they would put guava leaves in the water, hmm. and the, the water would change color depending on the concentration of metals in that water. And so if the water turned dark, they knew not to use it to wash the clothes because it would ruin the dye wow. in the clothes. And so fast forward um, to, you know, modern times we have all of these like really harsh chemicals that we've developed in order to determine different concentrations of metals in water. And so this project was, was more of like an environmentally friendly way of just using, you know, what the culture already knew about the properties of like tea leaves and guava leaves hmm. to determine the, the iron concentration in water based on, on tea leaves.
0: Interesting. But it makes me wonder if there's an application there too, for like, testing heavy metals and drinking water, mm-hmm. you could do a similar thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, and cause it's, it's also easy to access, right? Like you go to the grocery store and get some tea leaves mm-hmm. and then test your own water at home. So that's kind of like what they were trying to develop there. Um, came back to California. I studied some neuroscience at Stanford, just trying to narrow down of what I wanted to do as a scientist. Um, and I got really into stem cells. Like stem cells is definitely what first inspired me. Tissue engineering. Um And I dabbled with that a little bit more at Stanford University. Um, can
0: and then- you break down real quick, just because it's one of those words that I think everyone's heard, but most of us don't really have a working understanding of what it is, other than there is this like, magical thing that can... Yeah, stem cell. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. So stem cells and why they are awesome is because they are um, undifferentiated cells or cells that kind of like don't have a purpose yet (laughs) in their in their life or not not yet. They just their purpose is to give life to daughter cells, which will then like perform a specific function. Hmm. Um, Like
0: a blank canvas. Yeah. Yeah. Multi, multi-tool.
1: Exactly, exactly. And so that stem cell will remain undifferentiated, but then have a bunch of daughter cells, which will go and differentiate and perform a bunch of different functions depending on uh, where that stem cell is in, in your body, right? So mm. you have, like, neural stem cells. So those are in your brain. Those will give rise to the different cell types that are going to be in your brain. Or you have... Um, uh, like stem cells for your blood, stem cells for your muscle, um, and stem cells potentially for your teeth. <laughs>
0: mm. So you can take like you take the the stem cells from a region, and you plug it in anywhere in the body, and it will like based on the cells it's surrounding, it'll like start creating more of those cells. Is that the idea?
1: I'm um,
0: I'm just wondering how it like is applied in, in yeah. In so yes and no, depending
1: on what what input you're putting into it and what stimulus you're putting into it, um, right? Because then there's also, like, you can de-differentiate a cell,
0: <laughs> okay. right? So
1: something that has, like, a purpose or performs a specific function and then return it back to that blank st- blank slate um, to become, like, a pluripotent stem cell or something that has the potential to become something else again.
0: Um, where do the daughter cells come from? Is that just when the cell divides? It, yeah, it's just it, when the cell is...
1: divides. And okay. so that's like your classic mitosis division. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, exactly. But um, yeah, so my, my project is trying to figure out, okay, if the, the if in the fish that I'm studying, so I study the three spine fish, if they regenerate their teeth over their lifetime, where are these new teeth coming from? Right, And so any regenerating tissue or organ like kind of has to have a beginning. And so where's the beginning of these teeth? And so trying to see if they, if they do have stem cells. Um, but the evolutionary aspect of that is that teeth can be classified into this family called epithelial appendages. And so you can think of those as being kind of like outer ornaments on our body that can replace over time. And so, in that category, there's um, like hair, and feathers, and scales, and teeth.
0: <laughs> are fingernails considered that as well? Yeah,
1: fingers, fingernails are also in that in that group. And if you look at them, like if you were to take, you know, cross sections of all of them during the early developmental stages, um, morphologically they all look the same. They all kind of just look like a bunch of cells, like budding out. Um, until they, they're, they're actually a fully formed organ that it looks like a hair, that it looks like a feather, that it looks like a, a, a tooth. But taking it a couple steps back, they all kind of look the same. And then if you go in and look at how they actually um, develop in terms of gene regulation, it's also very similar. So if we can draw all these similarities between how these organs develop can we draw the same similarities between how they regenerate hmm. right um and so for these different organs there is a defined stem cell niche that's like right up against the the regenerating organ so like for us for our hair there is a a, a hair follicle stem cell niche or like the the hair bulge which gives rise to our new like regenerating hair right and that's how we can keep on growing our hair some people better than others right, <laughs> yeah. right? and that's that's kind of like the the money maker aspect of of, of this project too is right. if we have a better understanding of of these stem cells in this class of epithelial appendages and how they get turned on and off, like can we replace teeth can we replace hair There's you a lot will of money cure a baldness there. exactly yeah. exactly um
0: yeah i heard a great uh I forget if it was, like, Rogan or another comedian was talking about, like, all these, like, Rogaine and other bald yeah. cures. And he's like, <laughs> like, look, if there was a cure that actually worked, there wouldn't be bald men anymore. You know, like, <laughs> like that's how you know there none of these really work. Because everyone would be shouting it from the rooftops. Then we wouldn't have guys struggling with this. Because every guy would, like...
1: Yeah, that's that's a
0: you know billion dollar idea right
1: there. Yeah, yeah, but it does it does go back to the genetics, and it is really interesting to see how similar, like, and this is what you get to learn as a scientist when you're actually reading this, and you're reading like the same genes, like or the same orthologs for genes, which is like different species but a, a gene or protein that performs the same function mm. in different species. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, wait, these are all like getting, like, they're developing the same way, they're regenerating the same Mm. way. So if they're so similar, then what makes them different? And then you get into the fun, like, mad scientist questions, which is like, oh, okay, well, then could we grow hair out of our teeth? And could we grow teeth out of our hair? Um, (laughs) (laughs) We've done, like, like, these are, you know, the kind of more fun conversations that you get to have. That a, you know I'm, the, the I'm life finds a way right. the the well let let's let's find out but maybe not not find out how long of... till
0: we're at Jurassic Park running from T Rexes
1: exactly exactly and like do we do we really want fish growing hair like I don't I don't know maybe it's like a an ornamental fish trade of long somewhere hair. in your lab is a poor,
0: <laughs> poor fish in a swimming around a bowl that's just got a hairy mouth that's just, just bristling yeah
1: <laughs> yeah but what's what's interesting about it, too, is that um, it's, not, it's not uncommon to find like or thinking about the properties of, of stem cells and of, of these tissues being highly proliferative. Like, what disease is associated with being highly proliferative or having highly pr- proliferative cells? Cancer. Exactly. Yeah. Cancer, right? And so it's not uncommon to find, like, hair and teeth in tumors.
0: Right. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So gnarly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So the, okay. So that's kind of where that link is that there's so much of that going on in, 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 and it's growing in a place where there is hair being made also.
1: Yeah. And that's why a lot of, um, like cancer biology and stem cell biology is so, um, like they run parallel to each other because they're both like highly proliferative. And if you lose control of one, then you know, like the whole system goes to shit. <laughs> right.
0: Right. And that seems to be what any sort of like a stem cell therapy would have to be really, you know, cautious about. Is that like is this gonna give someone cancer?
1: Exactly, exactly. And that's that's actually one way that you can um Test if something is a stem cell is you you know remove it from one organism, put it in a different organism, and if it starts forming you know tumors, <laughs> if it starts proliferating a lot, you're like oh okay, this is a stem cell, it's mm. it's proliferating. Whereas if you took like a a non-stem cell, or what's called like a somatic cell, um, it uh it wouldn't it wouldn't be continuously dividing like that.
0: And then so our do our bodies have natural processes that like regulate a stem cell's, you know, uh, impose biological limits on a stem cell's ability to proliferate? How come we're not all just <laughs> filling with tumors all
1: the time? Yeah, yeah actually, that's, um, that's, that's interesting you bring that up uh, because, yes, and the term is called quiescence, and it's basically cl- keeping the stem cell asleep. So quiescence being, like, asleep. Hmm. Um, and so it only gets turned on when it's time to actually, you know, replace or regenerate that organ. Um, and, and it can vary. Like, in the, in the fish that I work with, um, our lab compared two different populations, you know, that were separated um, uh, based on their environment. So... A population that grew up in a marine environment or a saltwater environment, and then a population that grew up in a freshwater environment. And that was enough of a difference to create phenotypic changes or, like, you know, features, the stuff that's actually expressed Mm -hmm. um, with respect to their teeth. In that the freshwater population actually had more teeth and had higher rates of uh, tooth regeneration than the marine population. Interesting. And so we actually narrowed that down to a specific gene called BMP six or bon- bone morphogenetic <laughs> protein six.
0: <laughs> Good old BMP six.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, BMP six. And so it's it's very it's very well you know regulated and and well defined in that way that that we think that this BMP six, which is the main difference between. These two populations is um, regulating that stem cell quiescence.
0: Hmm. It's interesting to like because if you had just asked me, you know, with my limited knowledge, like which which environment do you think would be more conducive to tooth generation? I would think that like salt water. There's much more like access to mineral raw minerals around, and you know maybe there's more a greater range of materials that need to be chewed on or whatever. It's interesting to hear that uh, there's more at play or that that the freshwater fish actually have more teeth. Is there any sort of like evolutionary uh, hypothesis for why or for how that serves or why the, you know, is there an environmental effect that you think came into that expression?
1: Yeah. So we do think that that it was probably based on diet um, so just different diets and the different environments of marine versus freshwater that it was more advantageous for the freshwater pop- population to have more more teeth, mm. <laughs>
0: yeah. bugs and the like.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, that's really cool. The so like when you're thinking about when you're when you're studying these fish teeth. Um, is there a lot of emphasis in your projects on on the like practical application of them with regards to humans? Is that something that enters into your thoughts a lot, or are you is it is that a little removed, farther removed, for like from the actual work that you're doing right now?
1: Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely further removed. It's uh, I mean, UC Berkeley I think as an institution is definitely more what's called basic science research as opposed to translational science. So translational science being having that like human component of how it of how it translates whereas basic science research is just like science for the sake of science Mm -hmm. (laughs) and like what's happening and like um and like i said this category of epithelial appendages with like hair and feathers and teeth and scales like did they all come from the same like evolutionary origin and that's kind of like the question right Mm -hmm. there isn't necessarily an application for it it's just like like I think addresses the bigger question of like right. who we are and where did we come from and right. how did we get here? Well, and I mean, how many of the,
0: <laughs> how many of the great revelations in science come from that work, that very, like we don't know the questions to ask until we find, until we find them, you know, like the work that you're doing is you can't see what might come out of it or what it might lead to. And it's very likely that, that solving a problem or finding a, an answer will then lead, you know, directly towards something that does translate. You know, it's this stuff, like everything affects everything in this sense, right? So like you guys are doing like the stem cell science work in yeah. a sense that can then be expressed in these translational ways.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what's crazy about my project is that I'm tr- I'm trying to figure out if, if the teeth that are regenerating in my species of fish – are coming from stem cells or if they're coming from uh you know the cells that are already there if those cells are de-differentiating and then regenerating the teeth mm. which which would be like a very like novel pathway right cuz most most tissues and organs that we think of as being replaced come from stem cells and if you know the teeth aren't coming from stem cells then where are they coming from and just kind of the more you know, the more you realize you don't know anything, mm-hmm. and just like as you uncover things, you start asking yourself more questions
0: what uh is that something that exists in other creatures or that's that's already something that that's aware that people are aware of in in biology, or would this be like a novel process that hasn't been seen before in nature?
1: It's definitely not common. it's something that we've been that has been recreated in labs, so we have been able to take a differentiated cell, introduce it to different, you know, transcription factors to de-differentiate it and then differentiate it again. So becoming specified to unspecified to specified again. Um, it's complicated. (laughs) It's a lot of work. Um, but it's not unheard of.
0: It almost seems like it's like a, a counter entropic line, you know, like a, seems like like for us like it I don't know like it it would make sense that cells would kind of follow this like one way street and what you're describing is that like that there's like an element of malleability with these things that I think most of us aren't aware of
1: yeah which would be which would be super powerful for medicine if we could just take you know your own cells and you know unspecify them and then specify them again so that way your body can accept it, right? And that's the issue with 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 doing transplants or getting stem cells from someone else is that there's the possibility of your body rejecting it. Um, but if it comes from your own body then you'll be, you know, the idea is you, you'd be more likely to accept it and keep it and recognize it as self and not try to immune response get rid of it.
0: Right. Yeah, that's that's the big hope with all, you know, if you need a transplant or any sort of therapy in that regard. Um, is there a, um, is there like a factoid in, from your research that like, you think that like everybody should know, or is there like, what's your like Cadillac, you know, if you're trying to like, wow, blow people's minds <laughs> with a piece of like knowledge that maybe isn't like publicly known, is it? Not um, to put you on the spot. Yeah, no, no, so. yeah.
1: The uh, well, the the pharyngeal the pharyngeal jaw definitely gets people. Like having the two jaws mm-hmm. is, is is fun. Uh, one one theory that I think is pretty interesting is the is the inside out versus the outside in models hmm. for how how we got teeth in the first place.
0: <laughs> Do you tell.
1: And so the outside in theory suggests that scales evolved first and then the scales migrated inside of the mouth and and created teeth Hmm. and then the inside out model (laughs) as you can imagine argues that teeth evolved first and then they migrated outwards to form scales
0: interesting are there examples in nature of of like external scales being used to like masticate or like to break down material like is there a creature that uses its external scales like to aid in breaking down food
1: external scales for breaking down food not necessarily um like yeah tooth tooth like scales on the outside of the body can be used for like latching on um Mm -hmm. almost like a Maybe like Velcro, for lack of a better example, they kind of look like little teeth. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but or not... claws. Maybe claws is an example. There you of go. That. Yeah, claws. Claws is a good one too. Little mouth claws. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> right. Like that's interesting. That's really cool, though. Like it's going to change the way I look at at scales now. You know, like that's a A snake is just it's a toothy tube. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> that's sweet so um what made you decide like on these fish in particular that you're that you're working with uh, why them and not not another kind of fish uh,
1: yeah so the three-spine sickleback fish is uh a really nice model system because they're small <laughs> right they're like Three to four inches, mm-hmm. uh, a lot easier to work with than sharks or, and more ethical to work with than humans. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would imagine. Um, they continuously replace their teeth over their lifetime. Uh, which is great for, you know, looking at, at, stem cells and replacement. Um, and you have these population differences, these like drastic population differences. Um, and there's so many different populations with so many different, uh, phenotypic differences or like these features, and you can find them, like, there's some in Berkeley and Strawberry Creek Park. Um, there's some, I've seen some down in Pinnacles National Park. They'll go all along the coast up Washington, Oregon, Canada, Alaska, and then even as far out as Japan. Wow. Uh, so, these are freshwater fish? Or salt so, there's water? freshwater and saltwater. Okay, fish. so both. Yeah. Um, and we know a lot about their genetics so we've mapped their genome and so we have a lot of information um there and and you know as any any classic model system you want to have you know uh you want to understand their genetics (laughs) they want to be easy to take care of and easy to breed and you have you know large enough sample size to actually do experiments on them and so you know you get a clutch of eggs and they'll be anywhere from like 50 to 100 eggs that you can do a bunch of experiments on
0: um, and the, um, how, what, what's their
1: lifespan? Their lifespan, um, that's a good question.
0: <laughs> I'm just wondering, are they like relatively short-lived or do they have longer lives or, you
1: know? Yeah. I mean, I, I think of them more as like, like sexual lifespan because <laughs> I guess that's, for them, that's kind of like the lifespan that matters. Mm-hmm. And that's about two years gotcha. so they'll reach sexual maturity at six months and then they'll be able to breed for about two years so we keep them around for for about three years
0: wow that's um, pretty long in research
1: yeah right? yeah that's why it's like six six sometimes seven years for a PhD in life sciences just because especially if you're working with a model a model system or mm-hmm. like an actual organism um, whereas if you're working with cell culture you know it's a lot easier <laughs> turn around if you're just working right. cells, or if you're doing chemistry, it's even quicker because mm-hmm. you're just you know mixing the chemicals together right. in, a, in a very crude sense. But,
0: <laughs> and how long does it take them to replace a tooth?
1: Uh, that's a good question, and that's something that's that's difficult to track. We know we've been able to mark the first tooth replacement, so um, after you know their, their developed teeth, um. The first time that they replace a tooth is 21 days post-fertilization. So 21 days after they've been fertilized. um, That's when the first tooth gets replaced.
0: Interesting. And then
1: after that, we we can't really tell because we can't keep track of them because they don't have, as far as we can tell, tooth families to be able to track them linearly like you could in a shark where Mm. it's like, okay, there's baby tooth. There's, like, a middle tooth and then there's the adult tooth. Um, And so they don't have that, like, even... So they
0: don't start replacing teeth until after they've reached sexual maturity? Is that what you're saying?
1: So they start replacing their teeth at, like, three weeks old.
0: So, oh, you're saying fertilization, like, as a fertilized egg?
1: As a fertilized egg. Gotcha. Yeah. So that's the first time they replace their teeth is when they're only three weeks old. And then it's just continuous tooth replacement, and that's actually kind of like a question in our field: is what is what is the lifespan of of that tooth, <laughs> right. right? When with a tooth that doesn't have a tooth family,
0: and they're like individual, like they they have roots, and they're like because I when I think of like a fish jaw, to me it's like my you know just from fishing catching trout, and it like it seems like it's like just this jaw with like bony protuberances on it like almost like a serrated knife but I've never really thought about each one of those little points having being like a human tooth with a root that goes and extends down
1: so they are they are different than human teeth but they can be what's called like ankylosed and so like attached like the bone attachment um, to the jaw and that does happen hmm. um,
0: so it's rooted so like is it what is it fused like it's one it's, like, part of the same bone as the jaw, or is it, like, like ours, you know, it's, like, rooted in a socket. See what I'm saying?
1: Yeah. The, not rooted in the socket. Gotcha. <laughs> not, not like human teeth. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting.
0: And, like, what do these fish feed on? Like, what are they... What's causing them to lose the teeth, I guess? Have you been able to identify that?
1: Yeah. So they... I mean, they'll... Like, kind of how you had guessed, like, a lot of bugs. Like, whatever's, whatever's around. Um, the fit our fish, they are very high-maintenance. Like, they, they get a very cush diet. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we rotate um, taking turns feeding the fish. And I'll tell people, like, oh, like, I have to, you know, I have to go to a lab and feed the fish. And they're like, oh, like, you put little flakes in the tank? <laughs> I'm like, no. Not like you put little flakes in the tank. Yeah. It's a whole whole process of, um, so they live on a diet of brine shrimp, bloodworms, mysis shrimp, and daphnia, and, um, most of those just come from frozen, so the bloodworms, the mysis shrimp, and the daphnia all come from frozen. Are daphnia,
0: is that like larva? Yeah. Like dragonflies and stuff yeah. like that?
1: And, uh, and then the brine shrimp are, aka sea monkeys. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So you cut out the magazine, yeah exactly. send in the little coupon, coupon.
1: <laughs> exactly, um, and so those we actually have the seeds or the not the seeds but <laughs> the um the sis, hmm. and so we we'll, we actually have a whole brine shrimp hatchery that we set up, and so it's just kind of this this like plastic cone tank with warm water that's aerated, we add the cysts in um. After 24 hours, they hatch, and then we harvest the little the little orange shrimps and then set it up for the next day. And so the baby the baby fish will eat the brine shrimp because it's, it's small, and it's easy for them, whereas the older fish will get the Daphne, the bloodworms, and the mysis shrimp.
0: I mean, it makes sense because to me, if you aren't careful about what you're feeding them, you're just building bias then into... Your experiments right like it's going to affect what their their diet would, is totally going to affect so much of the data you're collecting about like how their teeth are replaced and when they're replaced right like I, it would make sense to have to control for, for that input
1: yeah yeah and it, it is I guess nice to know that you know evolutionary changes happen over time so in the short span that we're observing them mm-hmm. there isn't going to be like that many or like they're not going to necessarily, you know, evolve <laughs> in that time, right? Unless we intentionally, you know, change those conditions. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and I guess in nature, I mean, that is also the X factors. Like, what this is what they tend to eat, but like
1: they also eat poop, right? Like <laughs> they eat poop. They eat like if a uh, if a female um, like lays her eggs, like they'll eat the eggs. Um, they so their like mating ritual is is pretty cute um the male will make a nest and um to impress the female and if the female likes it then she'll go and lay her eggs in the nest but then you have you have some dudes who kind of like hide you know they didn't make the nest uh-huh. but they'll hide and then as soon as they as she lays the eggs they'll just swoop in and fertilize the they're eggs the homewreckers. Yeah, <laughs> they're the home wreckers yeah they're the home wreckers Um, and then, so if the other male fish get really pissed off, they can just go in and then just start eating, eating the eggs. These aren't my kids. I'm going to eat them. Yeah.
0: That's, uh, life finds a way, I guess, you know, um, that's awesome. So you were telling me before we started, you're getting pretty close to writing your dissertation, right?
1: Yes. Yeah, so I have I have about half a story okay. <laughs> right now. Yeah. In the in the arfish teeth coming from you know stem cells and if so are these stem cells similar to what we've seen in other regenerating teeth in different species, you know, like geckos and alligators and you know, are they similar to other organs like feathers and hair in in different species? Um, and so far, um, it's, it's still undetermined. <laughs> That's like the half of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, the places where we thought that we would identify stem cells, because in, in the literature in like other examples and other species, like the stem cell niche is pretty up close to the tooth that it's replacing. And so far in the data that I've collected, we haven't seen that. Um, which is, which is still interesting like that, you have you know all these similarities in different species, and then ours the one is the one that's different. So then it you know ask you know where we want to ask ourselves you know where where are these regenerating teeth coming from? Then,
0: mm-hmm. wait, how is there an end date to your experiments to your project? Like, I'm curious with the dissertation process. Like, is there a date that you have in your mind of like when? You got to chop off your research and start (laughs) the analysis or the, is that all happening at the same time? Like when you go into publisher mode, you know, where do you, where do you cap it?
1: Yeah. So it's all, it's all happening at the same time. And a lot of getting your PhD, I think is kind of self-learning and like flailing along the way of you're doing, you're often doing stuff that no one's ever done before and you are in the position to figure it out like that's your job like mm. that's getting your phd is figuring it out um so i would say maybe like the first you know 3 years of grad school was me figuring it out and like troubleshooting and then you know the last 3 years are actually running the experiments and then trying to figure out how to analyze the data identifying any holes in in the story and where we could add extra add additional experiments Um, and so it's all kind of like an ongoing process. Like I, I did a lot of troubleshooting, um, at each of, of the steps, right. Of, of developing the protocols, like what conditions are best, what reagents are best. Okay. Now actually, you know, imaging the data and then now analyzing and quantifying the data and now, and then going back to the beginning and then running, running it all over again. And so, uh, like I mentioned earlier, there's these, you know, two different populations that we've looked at the marine population and the freshwater population and seeing if you know the the proliferation dynamics you know if they do have stem cells are different between the two different populations so it's like I'm running this experiment in the marine and then I'm running this experiment in the freshwater and then um, and then we're looking at developing teeth and regenerating teeth and so we're looking at you know the juvenile fish then we're also looking at the adult fish and then you have the pharyngeal jaw and then you have the oral (laughs) jaw right and so you can kind of see where you're rinsing and repeating a lot of a lot of the the same experiments um but like at different time points and in different um in in different jaws
0: how many experiments in total go into a dissertation
1: i don't even know if you get to put a number on it yeah okay (laughs) Yeah, because sometimes you do an experiment to just, like, see if a reagent works, mm. right? And so um, it, it's just, like, so much trial and error, mm-hmm. um, like, little experiments leading up to bigger experiments.
0: It sounds like the beginning, those first three years are, like, a very creative time as you, like, I. it sounds like you're basically, like, designing your own, like, experiment style or your own, like... <sighs> set of procedures right like there's like this kind of maybe that's where the ph comes in the phd like the philosophical space you have to live in to like learn how to study or to like apply what you've learned in design you know in in experiment design and how you set up your lab and
1: oh 100 percent! like absolutely like i uh i remember my you know or statement of purpose for applying to grad school was like you know I have this background in like theater and art and then I also have this background in science. And I wanna, you know, like like bridge the gap between art and science, right?
0: Fish teeth, the musical.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> but then the more the more you I think you get into either craft, you recognize that they're not that different at all. And mm-hmm. they and there's this gap that we've kind of, I think, imagined in our minds, um, between art and science, but they're just They're just different ways of communicating the observations of the natural world, right? And so I have had to... Like, we have a hot glue gun in lab because sometimes you just have to, you know, engineer a platform to hold your slides so that way the liquid, you know, stays on top of your microscope slides, Mm -hmm. but you have to have this, like, humidity chamber to keep keep those slides in optimal conditions. Um, One of my favorite aspects of my project is actually um fluorescent imaging and so that's just like photography right and so you're setting the different con- conditions um for taking you know a-, a photo that has the best resolution and and that's going to be representative you know to your field of what you're seeing and how you're interpreting it right, right. um yeah, i remember
0: you sending me those cool psychedelic yeah, <laughs> shots of fish cells and teeth at a very high magnification level. And...
1: Yeah, and you definitely definitely have fun with it. Um, I think, yeah, a couple a couple semesters ago, the art department actually reached out to the science department, and they were like, "Hey, we want to do a collaboration um, art gallery with you guys." And so the artists, the they did um, displays they represented science and then the scientists like we we took our (laughs) our science into art Mm -hmm. and they just blended it together in such in such an awesome like cohesive way of just like um science art and art science that's
0: what's up that's so cool it's like a i feel like you're putting like the why into it or like the like that that got me it inspired me to see that when you were showing me just the you know like here's something that's very technical and like uh purposeful purpose-driven but there's these like inescapable aesthetic qualities to it that like are kind of cool in their own right if even you know removed from the meaning scientifically (laughs) <laughs> like, look I made a cool thing yeah. I made this cool image. Like,
1: and we, we've definitely done that before we've definitely just gone in and we just we take pictures for the sake of taking the picture because it's beautiful right mm-hmm. and I think it's it's easy sometimes to get lost in, in trying to collect the data and trying to get the project done but it's really nice and refreshing when you have those moments like when you're looking under the microscope and you just see something that's absolutely beautiful just for the sake of being beautiful. And Mm. you're like, I'm just going to take a picture of this and keep it for later. (laughs) Like it serves no purpose other than my own enjoyment.
0: Slap an inspirational quote at the bottom and you got yourself a a poster (laughs) for a corporate office. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, was there, I'm curious, this is going to shift into a little more personal question, if that's all right. Um, what was the moment where you first felt like, uh, like you could call yourself a scientist? Was there like a moment where you are like, "I am a fucking scientist"? Holy shit! Like, is there something that yeah, you can take yeah,
1: us to? yeah? I'd mentioned earlier about my um, my qualifying exam, mm-hmm. and that's a, a pretty intense experience for any you know. It's it's different depending on the PhD program, but for ours. You have to write and defend your thesis proposal, right? So your 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 project aims <laughs> and expectations. But then you also, you know, have a, a paper component where you have to read, you know, literature inside your field, outside your field, and the exam can be anywhere from two to three hours long, and it's just you and a, a piece of chalk or an expo marker, depending on the room, and for you know, professors <laughs> mm-hmm. and you go into the room <laughs> and you're like, hi, you know, my name Alyssa Borman and this is my project, you know, and then you go through your aims and sometimes you don't even get through your first sentence before they start asking you questions about your project. Cause they've already read your proposal. They already have an idea of what you're doing and they just grill you to make sure that, you know, that you know, your stuff, that you know, your background, you know, why are you doing this? Why is this important? What if that doesn't work? right what if you get this other result um do and they tend to be
0: is it do you was there like a feeling of hostility or is it more I, supportive or?
1: yeah so it depends it definitely depends on your committee and luckily you get to pick your committee members so I got to pick the professors that were sitting on my panel so I picked I picked the nice ones yeah no, <laughs> I picked the smart. ones that I liked yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but also the ones that were going to give me um I think, like, relevant feedback uh, to my project. So, you know, instead of picking, you know, the the biochemists or the neuroscientists, because they wouldn't necessarily be relevant, I picked the evolutionary biologist and the developmental biologist to be on my panel.
0: And are these going to be, were these then the people that were, like, supporting? And, like, does that relationship continue? Yeah, yeah. You... So
1: then you can pick from your qualifying committee to be on your thesis committee and they kind of help you throughout your years. Um, you have your annual thesis committee meeting where you basically give them updates on, and you get to show them all of the data, uh, that you've collected from your proposed project. Um, or you can announce like, Hey, the proposed project didn't work. We ended up going down this path instead, which was a lot more interesting because that's how science goes. Mm-hmm. But ultimately your committee, like, like they want you to pass Um, and, but they also, to
0: to pivot if you have to, like, you know, like how, how closely do you have to, you know, stay within the lines? Oh,
1: you, not at all. Yeah. (laughs) Some people can graduate not doing like any of the experiments that they had, had originally proposed, but like the purpose of the qualifying exam is making sure that you are, you know, set up and ready to pursue your work. Hmm. Right. And that they can, they can basically take off the training wheels and let you start running and you're not going to, you know, get stuck in a ditch somewhere. Um, even though it does feel like that, that happens sometimes when you're, when you're in troubleshooting, but, um, overall they just want to make sure that you, that you know your science and that you're able to propose additional experiments. And so for me, the moment that I felt like a scientist was They were asking me these questions that I didn't know the answers to, right? Because that's what they're trying to get to the point is like to ask you into the unknown and how you deal with it. And I remember being there and being comfortable and -hmm. being comfortable in the unknown because I could propose experiments to figure out, to figure it out, right? Or I knew the resources, to use to get that information and it was it was interesting because i had this very like out of body experience where i was like watching like i was in the room and i was like outside of myself like watching myself give these responses mm. <laughs> and i'm like man i'm i'm a scientist right now like i you know was given this question that i don't know the answer to but i'm proposing all of these experiments on how you'd be able to figure it out right and it all makes sense. They're all agreeing with me. They are all, you know, tenured, tenured faculty, you know, like professionals in their field. And they're agreeing with what I'm saying. Like what I'm saying is coherent, you know, and I'm not, you know, I'm not the imposter that that I thought I was, um, which comes up a lot with with scientists and with, with grad students and even with professors, which just you know, feeling like, like you've been faking it, right? (laughs) Right? You're just like the master at bullshitting, but you don't actually know what you're doing. But it's, it's very, very validating when, when these, you know, people that have been doing this for their whole life agree with the experiments that you proposed.
0: (laughs) Right now, totally. And and yeah, I mean, I can just imagine how, how validating and, and how awesome it must feel where you're like, yeah, I'm on the right path. Like these people that are so smart are like con- seriously considering my contributions. And, um, is your field in particular, do you find it to be, uh, you know, we hear so often in, in when people, you know, scientists talk about their fields, just the, how, how competitive it can be, how, backbiting it can be like the, those negative stories definitely transcend of like how hard it can be to be a scientist when people are always attacking your ideas in your particular field did you have you found that experience to be the case or is it a more supportive like how does yours compare to these you know in, in the larger network of of science
1: yeah yeah that's definitely that's definitely a problem. Um, and some of my colleagues have had to deal with that being in, you know, if they're studying cancer biology and there's this, this fear of getting what we call scooped, mm. which like someone else publishes the story that you were working on, right? Because right? you're studying the same pathway, um, but they're the ones who who beat you, who beat you to it. So they get to claim, you know, the ownership. Mm-hmm. Um, with my field, you know, being more, being more basic science and just knowledge for the sake of knowledge and kind of studying a more obscure organism, <laughs> being the three-spined stickleback fish, yeah. I have not run into that problem. Um, the stickleback labs—I, I mean, we kind of know all of them, <laughs> and they've all like branched out from a similar source. We actually have a a, a journal club, a, or like a a lab meeting group meeting with some of the other stickleback labs in the U S so we get together on zoom <laughs> and we'll just chat with each other and update each other on our scientists. We all work on the same organism, but in different ways, mm. right? Cause you can study so many things in the same organism. And so our lab specializes in teeth. Some labs look at fins, some labs look at, you know, plate morphology. Um, some labs do more ecology work. So thinking about like their environment. Um, and so there's just, Hasn't been as much competition, which is nice because I definitely have friends who have to, you know, go and work late hours and they have to get, you know, their work done and that experiment done. They have to get that data collected and analyzed mm-hmm. and pushed out the door as soon as possible because if you even wait like a day, it could be the difference between you having ownership and they having them having ownership of, you know, producing that knowledge.
0: Right. How many? How many people are on your team that you're working on? Are you a lone? Are you solo, flying by yourself, <laughs> or do you get do you, Is it a collaborative environment? Or?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so my lab is. Uh, so I work in the lab of Craig Miller at UC Berkeley, and it's relatively small. Um, we have two grad students and two postdocs. And then each of us have a couple of undergrads moving underneath us. And so it was definitely one of the things that attracted me to Craig's lab. Um like I had mentioned earlier, I, you know, wasn't intending on studying fish <laughs> but I really wanted to study stem cells and he had just started, you know, the stem cell project that I wanted to be a part of, especially since it was so new and he just he needed someone to get it up off the ground and I was and I was excited to to get that started, you know, alongside him. And he's, he's been an amazing advisor and an amazing mentor. And, and your first year of grad school, you get to rotate through different labs. Mm-hmm. Um, so three different labs, you get about like 10 weeks in each lab. And of all the labs that I rotated in, I just felt like the mentorship that I received from him was, was like the best fit for me. I remember going in on the first day of of rotation (laughs) and him being like, let me show you how to like cross a fish. And then him like putting his gloves on and actually like getting down at the bench, like with me and showing me the techniques of the lab. And I'd, I'd never seen, um, you know, from all of my research experiences throughout undergrad, I'd never seen a professor actually like put gloves on and sit next to me at the bench and like, walk me through an experiment Mm -hmm. it had always been you know either grad students or other undergrads teaching me but never you know the professor himself and he just made it a point to integrate himself in the lab like he would he would run his own experiments and he would also be on rotation for taking care of the fish and and feeding the fish and it just felt very much like a team Mm -hmm. um and the fact that it's small that you know it's just me and one other grad student so you know, I, I kind of get as much attention as <laughs> as I want. That's whereas awesome. whereas other labs will have maybe like eight grad students and at like a handful of postdocs. Um, and so you'll be lucky if you you know get to give group presentation once a semester. I get to give group presentation once a month. So once a month I get to get you know the feedback from my peers on my project, um, which is just so so valuable. Um, yeah, and
0: I'm sure you're having people you're getting all those differences of perspective and maybe some questions that you wouldn't even have thought to ask like how many experiments have come out of those meetings i wonder
1: oh definitely yeah you like like there's so many like i think that's one of my favorite parts about being a scientist is just having those eureka moments where it's just like i can do this experiment It just like comes out of nowhere like you're just having this conversation and then all of a sudden like the light bulb comes on Mm -hmm. and you're like I'm going to do that and I'm going to do that right after this lab meeting because yeah. I know exactly what I need to do to get that done and have that question. And then by the end of the week, sometimes you have the answer to that question. And it's just that's like, awesome. it's just like. It's, Knowledge. Yeah, it's just like, <laughs> whoa, this like, it was like a week ago that we <laughs> just thought about this and now here's the answer. That's, like that's, that's, cool. that's so cool.
0: Yeah, that, that, it, there's a lot of similarities in that headspace with what I'm finding is I'm like planning to try to make this film as, as a director. And like, I have questions like that come up and it's like, Oh, you know, like I need to learn, how am I going to like get my actors to, to talk like they're disc golf players. Oh, I got to go do all this research on disc golf. And I, okay, I got to make a primer. Like (laughs) I have all these little sub projects that come up that are like, Oh, I got to go do that. I got to do that. You know, for me, the, the real challenge is then implementing it and, and budgeting the time to to do it. But I see like so often I'll have like those moments where I'll see the like uh, the runway stretch out before me of like, OK, there's like this order of operations and things I need to do. And it can be a little overwhelming, but it's also like so exciting to when you start to get stimulated in that that way in that cognitive
1: space. Yeah. And it's so satisfying, too, when it just like all starts to kind of fall in place together and you're like it worked
0: (laughs) so is there are there any like um, units of knowledge that you can already like like claim to like claim ownership to like what's has has there been not to again not to put you on the spot but like are there like pieces of uh, you know conclusions real pieces of like knowledge that you can like claim like yeah i figured that thing out like that's Alyssa, <laughs> you know contributing to the human understanding of of life uh that, like are you at a point where you have anything any of that that you can like claim as you know that's my thing i found out but,
1: like, <laughs> yeah not not quite i'm almost there mm-hmm. and that's going back to what i had mentioned about you know different holes in the story and so um sometimes you have to have all of the data to be able to draw those kinds of conclusions. And, you know, more often than not, it all kind of comes together in the 11th hour. <laughs> right. And mm-hmm. and if you could imagine just having, you know, all the data spread out everywhere and then just drawing, you know, all of these like, like lines across it, trying to make some kind of sense of it and you can't really, do that until you have all of the pieces, mm. um, or I guess maybe maybe a puzzle is a better analogy. Yeah, like if you just have parts of the puzzle, you can't see the full picture. Like you have maybe a rough idea, but once you get more pieces, then you then it becomes more clear, and you can you can make those conclusions. So hopefully, I mean that's like that's like the goal for for this semester is to finish collecting that data, to so finish collecting those puzzle pieces, and then spending. The next year actually solving the puzzle mm. and putting it together and drawing those conclusions
0: seeing what rises at the surface
1: yeah and making a significant contribution to the scientific community right. that's <laughs> that really is like
0: you know that's uh that's a very small percentage of people in the world get to say like hey this piece of knowledge that's true this piece of truth In the scientific truth, I can lay claim to, like, actually, I'm the one that figured that out. And once you have that, you get to, like, be part of this very, like, kind of elite club of, (laughs) you know, like, I can see where, like, the ego can come in in the hubris of people that have done that a bunch and are like, look at all this knowledge I've accumulated for (laughs) so many. But I also understand, like, that's got to be such an amazing feeling. Like, that is the holy grail as a scientist, right? To be like, hey... I figured some shit out. Look, this is, like, something that I found that, like, whatever, if it's the third tooth on the fish mouth that <laughs> I figured out that it's a 30-degree angle, you know, but yeah. I've proven why, you know? Yeah. It's, like, that's the, right? That's kind of the intoxicating effect, the the inspiration behind all these hours you've been putting into this project. It's kind of the fruit, <laughs> right?
1: Absolutely. And that's that's, like, definitely, I think, what, attracted me to being a scientist like on, a, on an existential level is is doing something that is kind of timeless right of of making a discovery publishing it and knowing that that will outlive you mm. you know as 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 small as it is you know basic science of studying how fish teeth regenerate right
0: they list a legacy but, yeah
1: <laughs> but Um, but in doing this work, you know, so much of it is built off of the work that came before me, right? Like I have, I have had to sift through so much data and read so much literature from scientists that came before me. Um, and that's, you know, that's really meaningful and that's really, that's really powerful, um, being in this field that's just, you know, us building off of each other, right? And advancing science more and more. And you develop just a deeper appreciation for it. Um, and it's so beautiful. And it can feel so rare to, um, like, be, be in the microscope room, like, late at night with your microscope slides, taking images. You just did a brand new experiment. You don't know how it's going to look. You have an idea. And turning on the scope, looking, looking at the, that tissue section and knowing that you're the only person who's ever seen that, Hmm. like in the whole world, like until you publish it, you're the only person who's, who's seen that. And if you're drawing conclusions right then and there, like you're, you're the one that has that knowledge that nobody else has yet until you publish it. And it's really powerful. It's just, it's the creation of knowledge. Right. (laughs)
0: Yeah, you get the. It's the philosophy, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: aspect of it, right?
0: Totally, that's so cool. That's I can see like how alluring that can be and really awesome. So, um, I think we can if there's a if there's a a story or a topic that we can like wrap things up on as a teaser to the fans, to the listeners. Let's talk a little bit. Why don't we end it by talking a little bit about Van Life? Oh. <laughs> and, and the future. Yeah. You list a future when you're a, yeah. a published scientist and you know, and the and the, the, <laughs> I wanna I wanna talk about that and I also want to get your take on this whole GameStop thing, because I know you're also like oh, a finance wizard. Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. So yeah, grad students have a life outside of science. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Believe it or not.
1: Um Yeah, I like got into the outdoor culture moving in, you know, to the Bay Area and was exposed to people who either, you know, were thinking about doing van life or had heard of other people doing van life. Um, So I started doing some research on it just because like Bay Area rent sucks. And so originally I was like. I'm going to get an RV and I'm going <laughs> to live in an RV and like save so much money on rent. Cause like grad students also don't make that much money. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that just kind of became smaller and smaller, <laughs> like RV to cargo van to minivan. And I just felt like it, it fit my lifestyle. Um, I'm definitely the kind of person that would, well, you know, six months out, you know, look at camping reservations, like Yosemite, if you want to go in June, you have to book it in January and it gets exhausting and it gets, (laughs) and it gets tiring. And I was just like, I want to be able to just get up and go somewhere and not have to worry about having, you know, a campsite reserved four months ago. Um, so that definitely attracted me to it as well as, um, The idea of minimalism Hmm. and the first time that I went backpacking I laid all of my stuff out on my bed and I was like this is what I need to survive in the backcountry and I looked at it and I was like really this is all I need to survive (laughs) right (laughs) and when you like distill it all down it's just like, man, I just, there's so much stuff. Right. <laughs> like, there's so much stuff everywhere mm-hmm. that's kind of, like, weighing, weighing us down. Um, so a combination of things, of wanting to get out in nature, wanting to live, a, like, a simpler life, a more minimalistic life. And wanting to um, experience the outdoors and more of of what, I guess, the U.S. has to offer. Because I have this road trip planned after I graduate of just going from state to state, visiting the national parks, visiting other, you know, scenic, scenic routes. Um, I've just been in school ever since preschool <laughs> um, without taking a break. And so it'll, it'll be nice to, you know, live for the sake of living and not really have a, a timetable or a schedule and just be. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. I get to experience life as a non-academic for once.
1: Yeah, yeah, and just observe without the, without the experiments. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, you're, you're going to be living in a grand experiment of this, this lifestyle. That's, that's so exciting. I mean, I, I, even as you're talking, I'm, just, I was, my mind was like, getting these images of going to parks and oh, I'll do this hike today and and the people that you're gonna meet interesting connections with humans that you'll have.
1: And... Yeah. And it's, it's beautiful. Just, I think how much the community has grown and how much social media has allowed for these communities to grow. Um, and so two, I guess main shout outs that influenced me is one is the women on the road podcast, mm. um, which originally started out as just conversations with women and women identifying people about their experience Right, um, and also uh, bringing on women of color. Um, eventually, it evolved to becoming more inclusive, and and they've since rebranded to um, Nomads at the Intersections, mm. and just having these conversations about that's the know, same podcast. Yeah, it's the same podcast gotcha. uh, renamed Nomads at the Intersections to be more inclusive, and um, just having these conversations about the reality of living in a van and it's not all Instagram makes it out to right, be <laughs> right. like parking and scenic routes and like having you know that... showing
0: off your yoga booty
1: yeah showing off your yoga booty doing <laughs> like sunrise yoga at the beach and uh, sometimes you're in a Walmart parking lot and sometimes <laughs> you know sometimes it's the middle of the night and you're hearing a lot of noises outside your van and you just have to trust your gut and get up and go even though you'd rather sleep um, it's peeing in a jar because you don't want to go outside. <laughs> like it's squatting in your van and peeing in a jar because it's too cold mm-hmm. or you're too freaked out to go outside at night. Right. But they also talk about the different jobs that they do on the road, which is cool. And um, and then the other um, like media influence that has inspired my kind of van build and life on the road is is the YouTube channel Cheap RV Living. Um, and that one is just like super super wholesome of again, just interviewing different people on different walks of life and you know, why they got into living in their vehicle and and what they're doing, how they're surviving and and um, and each of each of them, so the podcast and and this YouTube channel have like annual gatherings, oh. for people to, you know, meet in the desert somewhere and just like commune, share their experiences. Um, sometimes they'll follow each other, you know, for a couple of weeks or a couple months and then you'll part ways. It's almost like, um, it reminds me of like backpacking, right? Right. Well, you'll meet people along the trail. Maybe mm-hmm. you'll hang out with them. Maybe you won't, but you're, you're kind of going the same way anyway. Totally. <laughs> so might as well have some companionship.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, was my experience when I did, when I traveled the West coast of India was like, as I was making my way, you know trying my best to, 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 to take the space when I needed to, to be alone. But you would always see the same people pop up in the towns like, Oh, it's you, dude. What's up? Like I just saw you a hundred, 200 miles away in another town. And now here you are, <laughs> you know, we're all kind of headed in the same direction. Uh, and then, yeah, you have these encounters where suddenly you meet someone and maybe you travel for two weeks together and you have these like transcendental experiences where you get so deep, and you are you're like witnessing like such a just sensory a rush of all these senses being in this new place and you get these really deep friendships and um you know and I'm still that's the beauty of social media is that I I am still part of groups of our old you know seven country family that lived on the beach together for 11 days and we pop every now and then they pop in and I see where they what they're up to and what they're doing some of them are still On the same trip, you know, this is four years later that they were when I met them. And I'm like, man, like now you're in Bali and you're still doing it. Like, what have I been doing for four years? You know, like, uh, and that's kind of the dream for me is to get back out there. It's, it's it's almost like when you have a really good dream and you wake up and you're like, can I get back into it? If I fall asleep right now, like, can I hop back into that dream? Like I want to try to go to sleep. And sometimes you do. And sometimes you don't. And like. That's kind of what the feeling's been like for me as I've been back. It's like, man, I really want to get back into that dream. But, you know, but you get back into settled life and all these other parallel storylines come into play and your next thing you know, it's been four years and they're like, man, I plan to be back for maybe six months and now I'm, <laughs> now I'm doing all this other stuff. But that, but that's really hearing you talk about that and talk about those realities. It just like totally stimulates my own wanderlust that, that's still in there the reason that I don't yet have a dog, pretty much. Cause... Yeah, same. <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I've told myself I'm not I'm not getting a dog until I, like, own some property that mm. the dog can live yeah, on. Yeah, so very pragmatic. Roots, but it is really empowering, too, just seeing other people doing it and doing it on, like, low means, right? Like, just working with, like, one thing that I, one, you know deep takeaway from the cheap, living, cheap RV Living YouTube channel is just work with you, what you have. Mm-hmm. So stuff that's, like, in your house, right, and whatever car you have, right, it doesn't have to be a van, it doesn't have to be an SUV, like, it can just, it can be a sedan, mm-hmm. right? Like, it, it can be a little, it can be a little car. It might not be, like, as comfy and spacious, right. but you can you can work with what you got, and you can be creative. Um. And, um... And yeah, just like experiencing life more, I think um, we get too comfortable and we get too complacent. Yeah, in in doing what's easy, and, and I don't know. I think it's just like the stoic in me that really likes being uncomfortable. Yeah, like like backcountry camping, carrying everything that you need to survive. you know, miles over days without shower, without like a comfy bed, but you know, the views making it all worth it, right? That fresh air and that solitude, which, which for a good part of my life, like up until recently, like I was just so afraid of like being alone and being alone with my thoughts and, um, and being in nature really helped me I think overcome that um coming out of like a few years of being really depressed and then going to Yosemite for the first time (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. it's the best antidepressant it's the only one that delivers the goods
1: yeah and, and making and making that happen for myself like being tired of sitting around waiting for people to invite me to their journeys because I, I didn't know how to get into it, right? right? Like I didn't know what I was doing, and so oh, yeah. I was, I was just constantly waiting for people to invite me. And and I finally got fed up with it, and I was just like, okay, well, if this is something that I want to do, then I just need to do it. Like I just need to get over myself,
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and like and plan it, yeah, and put myself out there. And like, if I have to be alone, then I have to be alone. This is something that I'll I'll, I'll deal with, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: And um, I'm sure you found that it's. That when you took that initiative, suddenly you find those connections that like before, you know, when when you were like looking for someone else to bring you along, you couldn't find. But once you start doing it, that like attracts personalities and people are suddenly like, oh, she's doing her thing. Like, I want to hitch my wagon to that train. Yeah, exactly.
1: And so I was just like, just be, be the person you want, like in your life, be the person that you're looking for right and maybe and maybe this is my role i mean mm-hmm. growing up always i always struggled with with making and keeping friends right cuz i again i was always waiting to be invited instead of being the person to invite mm-hmm. right and i was like this is this is just who i am like we have different roles in our lives and this is just my role like i am the planner and i am the one who invites people to things And I invite everybody so nobody feels like they're left out. And so, and it's been great. Like my life has just been like turned around completely. I'm so much happier now. Yeah. Like just consuming all of the nature and knowing that I can do it and knowing we're not knowing necessarily that I can even do it, but, like, I'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, but let's find out. <laughs> like, that's that's part of what I like about it. Like, I like struggling. Like, it makes for a good story. Like, when you get stuck oh, in yeah. the backcountry and you wake up the next morning and you're covered in smoke because there's a fire north of you and you have to evacuate, like, that's exciting. Like, right. it's uncomfortable and it sucks, but it's exciting. And, and you it, get and to it carry makes... that
0: story around with you the rest of your life. It's yeah. Like you have this, like... Like, that's the cool thing about having a terrible experience. Like, the gift is that, man, I got a great story. Yeah. Like, whenever, <laughs> like, let's say I'm stuck in a car, <laughs> hitchhiking, or I, like, break down on the side of the road and I have to, like, offer a token to someone who's helping me, well, I have a great story now. Like, there is value there. Yeah. And I think that, like, it, I've tried to cultivate that mentality and it's helped me through some really hard times, you know, being stuck on a mesa in utah with a thunderstorm and there's lightning hitting the ground next to me and i'm like i'm looking around and people are like breaking down and stressed and and like i'm like kind of have this manic glee and laughing because i'm like this is in a week i'm going to be next to a fire in my house and comfortable yeah you and i can like almost like pull the future into my mind and be like like this is hilarious it's gonna be a great story like, and I started like joking with my yeah. friend. And next thing I know, we have like 20 kids around us l- laughing, you know, yeah. and it's like it, we're in this epic elemental symphonic moment, but like, you know, what is it? You're still going to wake up and be alive, you know, hopefully, you Yeah. Know? and if not, then you've, man, struck by lightning, a pretty cool <laughs> way pretty to cool go. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Like, so I I think that you're, you're right on in that. And I'm so excited to. To, to, you know, continue to learn about your story and your, as you travel. And, you know, that is one of the things that I've appreciated about our friendship is that you are someone that will reach out to me and be like, Hey, do you want to hang out? Like even today, like it yeah. was like a text. I don't get like, cause I'm that person too. Like I'm usually the one that makes plans. Most of my friends, I'm the one that I'm initiating a lot of the hangouts. And like a couple of years ago, I was like, man, I really wish I would get more back. You know, I wish people would like reach out to me. Sometimes I can feel really lonely or I can get like exhausted with always pushing for the social. Um, And so as I'm cultivating being a little more withdrawn and introverted, hoping to pull that out of some of my friends, it's so valuable when I do have somebody that is like, yeah, like, hey, what's up? I'm going to poke you like, (laughs) like, here's an opportunity to say yes to this thing or to, to hang out. And that that is really I think an admirable quality and a friend to have. And I appreciate that about you for sure. And, um, just going to be excited to, to continue to follow you as you go on this trip. I hope that you maybe make your own content as you travel, whether it's a podcast (laughs) or a video or however, it'd be cool to, 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 have some sort of platform where we could follow along as, as your story, uh, you know, continues to unfold.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely... I want to keep some kind of, like, a living documentation of my travels, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure if it's going to be, like, a video blog or a blog or an Instagram. I've created an Instagram channel for my van currently. Nice. Called Ventures with Vera.
0: <laughs> Ventures with Vera, nice. So, yeah,
1: Vera's, Vera's my van name, and gotcha. so I've been... Um, like slowly doing the weekend build. So mm-hmm. I have some a few posts there and a few trip posts there. Um, yeah, because I just get so inspired reading other people's stories and seeing other people's trips. Yeah. And being empowered by it. And I just want to share that with my friends and family and, like, get them excited to be outside and be in nature because I found it so restorative. And I found it so therapeutic mm-hmm. and, like... Some of the best days in my life have been out, you know, in nature and some of them being after really awful, you know, lightning storms or rainstorms or Mm. or you're soaking wet. But the next day it's just like, it's beautiful. And one of my, um, one of my good friends, Andrew, he, when we were, when we were hiking Half Dome this past summer, uh, for anyone who's been on Half Dome, you know, you're pretty exposed, (laughs) you're definitely, you know, testing, testing some limits there. And I was, you know, freaking out a little bit and and he was teasing me and yeah. and he had made this comment that, that just like hit me that I love. I was just like, you know, how often in our lives do we get to, do we get to be afraid? Hmm. Like, and what a wonderful opportunity it is to be uncomfortable and to be afraid because we don't get it that often. And and that really stuck with me. And now, like, anytime I'm in, like, a difficult situation, I just think of it like, well, wow, what a wonderful opportunity to be able to experience something, you know?
0: Well, I like that. You know, like this, to experience yeah. this
1: hardship, but also to test my reaction to it, right? To test my patience with it. Like, mm-hmm. like am, am I going to get hysterical, you know? Am I going to be angry about a difficult situation or am i going to be you know more rational about it and recognize recognize it as all just you know these feelings you know just arising in consciousness right but we have control over them right we we can see them coming Oh, observe the mindfulness, them and, then, and, then, and then let them go. Exactly, and then <laughs> yeah. and then let them go. Yeah. And it's and it's so restorative. And experience experiencing that, like in the backcountry in nature, being uncomfortable but being okay with being comfortable. Like once you accept it, like I remember being at a music festival. It was Treasure Island Music Festival. I think it was the last time they did it on Treasure mm-hmm. Island in 2016. It was pouring rain. They <laughs> said rain or shine. They said rain or shine, and they and they they meant it. It was. Pouring Pouring. We were on Treasure Island mm-hmm. in the middle of the bay, as it was storming, and, um, and I just, like, at first, I was like, oh, no, but once I had, once I had accepted just being wet, like, I am going to be wet. hmm Like, I wasn't uncomfortable anymore. Like, once I had accepted yeah. <laughs> my fate of being wet at a music festival and being muddy and being gross... I was like, now I can enjoy, like, like once you get past, now it's, I can enjoy the, like, funny, music of being It's funny here. how,
0: like, there is that threshold <laughs> you got to walk through. Like, when you first get a couple drops on your skin, it's like, oh, it's so uncomfortable. <laughs> Those first few drops of rain. But then there's this moment where you get reach saturation, where, like, suddenly you're wet enough to where, like, the the next couple drops aren't prickling you anymore. And you just, ex- like, I, I noticed that, too, being out in the rain enough times to realize like just how irrationally terrified civilized humans are of the rain like whenever it starts raining you look outside and people are like hunched up and they're (laughs) like like, holding stuff over their heads and they're so like scared of like this little bit of water that's coming down on them and they're running to get inside and when you get out there and you get past that moment when you break that threshold it's very liberating to be like I'm out here in the rain and you know like you said in it in a festival setting, I'm sure, like, you've got a lot of other things going on, too, in in the sensory stimulation, you know, zone. So it's, like, that just becomes part of the melange of of senses and experiences. And you kind of get to be this, like, sometimes I think of it like I'm just some sort of, like, porpoise, you know, or, like, sea lion. <laughs> where like, that, that experience, you know, I had this experience once with my buddies running around. Up in West Marin in the mountains, we had all taken mushrooms and we were like full on in our trips and it just started dumping on us. And like I had a thick jacket on and I had this experience of like being totally wet being <laughs> out in the elements, but not being cold. Yeah. And I was like, I'm, I'm a fucking sea animal right now. Like I'm a sea <laughs> mammal, like I'm totally wet and I'm just kind of like, you know, like porpoising around and just like, you know, I totally felt in, like an animal that was just like oh this is what it's like to be a seal where i'm in the water and i'm wet and and the the outer membrane is cold but i'm warm inside and like that kind of has stayed with me that like that idea of that being a thing
1: to be yeah and,
0: and it's really cool
1: yeah just... and getting yeah being being primal yeah like that and getting back to those those kind of instincts it's very it's very playful and very childlike too because like kids get themselves in like super uncomfortable situations (laughs) and they love it it's Mm -hmm. like fun right but over time we just we just get too comfortable and we need to we need to be better at being uncomfortable like uncomfortable in the environment and uncomfortable in like social situations well i
0: think you hit on a good point there too like the to call to court the moments where you get to experience real fear because so for so many of us The only times our body is is putting us through a fear response is when we're dealing with stress Mm -hmm. and it's usually something that's like the stimuli, what we're experiencing physiologically is like this evolutionary response to like a very real threat but the stimuli doesn't necessarily match. We've created, we've made it have that emotional weight where it's like, Oh my God, this deadline's coming up or Mm -hmm. Nancy yelled at me in the office today and I'm stressed, you know? And it's like, (laughs) nobody's coming to kill you. You're not going to fall off a cliff. Like, but you're experiencing the same level of of emotional distress as if you were being hunted by a lion, Mm -hmm. you know? And so to get that context of being in a situation where you're like, Oh shit, like I could die right now. It just kind of resets mm-hmm. like your frame of <laughs> reference to where you're like, Okay, like having been in a legit dangerous situation and persevering and feeling that, being conscious of that emotion in that moment of like, Yeah, it's I should be scared right now. This is like a good response to this. Then when you come back to the office and it's like, you know, did you file those TPS reports you didn't use the letterhead? <laughs> it's like, All right, like maybe you know, maybe the reaction to this doesn't need to be, uh, you know, to carry the same emotional weight, you know, but, but if you're only getting the quote unquote civilized context, (laughs) it's very easy for that to become, you know, the feeling of being hunted by a lion.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I love what you said about like resetting that frame of reference or resetting that threshold of, you know, the real, you know, flight or fight response, Right. And, and being in those situations, like in nature, in the back country, like, um, and having to, like, you don't have the time or space to freak out because you have to make, you have to make decisions to make mm-hmm. sure that you're safe. Right. And you don't, you don't have like technology and like a bunch of people around to help you out. And the
0: calm app. Yeah. <laughs> in the really help with the...
1: And it's been really, it's been really great. Just like being put in those situations and how I very narrowly focus on like action items of like, this is what I need to do to get done, to Mm. get, to get things done. Right. And this, and this is what we need to do to survive. And it becomes very real, but then bringing that back with you into like the work environment of being Mm. like, Oh, okay. I have, I have this deadline instead of being like, Oh my God, like everything is, everything is coming down on me at the same time. Kind of more compartmentalizing it and saying like, you know what? No, (laughs) this is what I need to do to fight. Like, this is what Mm -hmm. I need to do to, to get, to get this done and stay on top of of my shit.
0: Hey, but I've, I've actually been in a situation where everything was coming down on me at one time. (laughs) This is, this ain't shit. You know, it's reminds me of the great line from Ghostbusters, the Bill Murray movie where he's just like, back off, buddy. I'm a scientist. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like one of my favorite lines from that movie you know yeah uh but but that's yeah i mean that's totally spot on and the reason why all of y'all should get out there and travel and experience real stuff court the fear i'm sensing the title of an autobiography someday maybe elissa yeah, Elisa. yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: how do you i always i keep messing up your last name it, Bana. Borman. Borman. Yeah. So that's right, because I have another friend named Alyssa. Shout out Alyssa Bana. <laughs> and you guys, I think I told you, you guys could be sisters. You look very much alike. Um, and you're both Alyssas. Borman, Alyssa Borman. You know, courting the fear, coming to paperback and hardcover at every Amazon bookstore. Um, all right, final thing. Let's talk finance. Let's talk. <laughs> I want to get I want to get your GameStop take. I want to, you some know, Stunks. Yeah. I I I've listened to some podcasts on it. I've read some stories. Um I don't really know, you know, that was weeks ago, so I'm just curious if you're aware of what's going on now and what the situation's like and and you know, just to get your take as a powerful woman, scientist, <laughs> traveler, <laughs> finance wizard.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I'm sure, as like a lot of millennials, you know, with the with the stock market crash, mm-hmm. the Great Stock Market Crash of 2020, um, I feel like a lot of people were like me, and they're like, "What is this? Like, what does this mean? Like, stocks crashing? Here, am I as like a 28 year old not knowing <laughs> what stocks are, what the stock market is, and how it works?" Mm-hmm. Uh, but then also, you know, there being a pandemic and not being able to go to work, and like, what else am I going to do with my time? Let's just binge watch a bunch of YouTube videos mm. on the stock market. Okay. And what to do with my stimulus check? And should I pay off my student loans, or should I put no! in savings? And what are <laughs> what are what are high interest savings accounts and all yeah. of that stuff? Um. Yeah. Self-taught personal finance. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, most recent event with GameStop. I have heard different different things about it. I I definitely didn't follow it because I'm just like I'm not investing in it, so <laughs> right, right. I'm not too well versed on it, mm-hmm. but um, my like layman's understanding of it having to deal with um, shorting a stock and basically. Making predictions that it's going to, you know, be cheaper later or, or making bets that it's going to go down. Yeah. And what ended up happening was that it didn't go down. Right. Instead, it went up. And so then, you know, the 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 big guys had to buy more in order to cover their asses, right, in order to make it worth it. But everyone from, like, our Wall Street bets just ended up keep buying more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was definitely the most insane Being to see because it was just the people up against the corporations right and so for me like I was happy being an audience member and just observing this Mm -hmm. like going on and and there was a little bit of FOMO just seeing how much money people were making and I'm like man like I could have made a lot I could have paid all of my student loans if I had put enough money in but at the same time like never wanting to invest more than you're willing to lose. And I wasn't sure how long that was, it was going to go up for. And I just wasn't willing to, to take the risk. Mm -hmm. And then, and then, you know, they, they weren't even allowing trading to go on. Yeah. That was pretty shady. (laughs) That That was was some, that was some sketch. That was the funny, the irony
0: with it being Robin Hood, the app called Robin Hood. That's, you know, that now is like, Disadvantaging the small-time traders in favor of these big hedge funds um, I think one of the most interesting things about the whole situation was The kind of red-pilling, waking people up to like What the fuck is shorting a stock? Like, like to hear people that were outraged The people of the establishment who were like, darn this is economic terrorism. Like, you know, you're like, not following the rules. Right. Like, and, and, rules and then you're, and you're like, and they're like, yeah, these, these poor hedge funds who are shorting the stocks. And then people waking up and being like, wait, people fucking bet against companies. Like, how does yeah. that add value to the system? Yeah. Like who thinks that that's a good idea for our economy? And, and to understand how much that reality actually, uh, causes this volatility that hurts real people that have like kind of paid into an IRA or paid into a retirement account, you know, just assuming that it's going to be like a long-term stable thing that they can retire on. You know, you, I feel like this whole thing has opened a lot of people's eyes to like the way the sausage is made and like, and, and how like vestigial, like this whole wall street class is, you know, this, I heard on one, amazing podcast this guy dave smith part of the problem kind of a libertarian anarcho-libertarian podcast that i've been listening to a lot lately but he does an amazing breakdown of the whole GameStop thing it was like two or three weeks ago it's like an hour long and he uses like they it's not a perfect metaphor but he uses a metaphor of the nba to explain like what this is what what this was and and to uh and the way that hedge funds work and the way that these medium traders what they were able to pull off by banding together but he had this great point which was like look we had what two or three stimulus bills that were passed that were like trillions of dollars that didn't really do much for (laughs) anybody other than the top class like it was just this huge giveaway right and he's like in one week $70 Seventy billion dollars was transferred from the high upper class of Wall Street to middle class people. He's like that alone, whatever you want to argue about it, that's the biggest stimulus thing that has ever been done in our recent history, yeah. bigger than any of these trillion dollar yeah. bills you know so like it's you know it's it's a powerful thing to witness, and I certainly don't have any sympathy for these hedge fund people that lost money because. <laughs> it's kind of like, look, y'all were the ones that set up this system, you know. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's I mean, that's just one little story as part of this. It's, uh, I'm just curious, like, you know, you've told me, we've talked about this, you know, when we hang out, but just your experience of being a trader and getting into investing, and you know, for a lot of people, myself included, never really felt like I had any money to invest, um, and it's always been very mystic, mystical to me. Uh, you know, why should people who aren't rich invest and how do you get in? You know, it can be so intimidating to start. Like, Mm -hmm. what was your experience, you know, coming into this?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was intimidating, right? Like, I'm just going to put my money somewhere and then like, it might go up or it might go down. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um and yeah, again, going back to YouTube University. Um, one one of my buddies sent me a video clip from a guy that he follows called Graham Stefan. So shout out to him. Definitely follow him. Um, another YouTube channel Andre Jik J I H K. Like those two are really awesome dudes. They come from very humble backgrounds right? They grew up in a family that didn't make very much money. Um, Andre, he immigrated here from Russia and like neither of them went to college. Um, and they're very much self-made. They just followed their passions and they educated themselves on investing and, and their whole YouTube channel is just wanting to pass that knowledge around. Like they're not trying to sell you on any kind of products. I mean, um, Graham, I think has a few sponsors, but it doesn't like, you know, fill up the whole feed. Right. But it's so you're just, not pushing Bluetooth making... stocks. yeah, exactly. It's just, <laughs> it's just breaking it down. Like, like what should I be doing with my money? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, and so, so they'll have episodes on like, what is a high interest savings account and why you shouldn't be using whatever your traditional bank is, whatever their savings account is, because your money's not growing. Right. If your money is just sitting there, like it isn't a piggy bank. Mm hmm. It's losing value because of inflation, right. right? And so $100 today is not going to be the, the same $100 in 10 years from now. And so that's why you need to invest. That's like the, the big thing is, is almost using it as a high interest savings account. And mm. um, so I started out with getting my Roth IRA, which is your retirement account. So everyone should, should definitely, uh, if, if, if you can, invest in your Roth IRA the typical go-to is the S and P 500, which is just the top 500 companies. Like you, you, it's basically a basket. And so your money is distributed in this basket of 500 companies. Um, and, um, where was I going? So
0: these are companies that have a proven track record of steady growth. Is that the, the idea of why it's a safe bet to invest? Oh, exactly.
1: Yeah. And all like, like, um, like I I did a bunch of research, right? Again, I wasn't going to work during the pandemic, so Mm -hmm. I just had all of the time to spend on, like, binge researching this material. So, like, cross-referencing different, um, like, blogs and forums. And then I also ended up reading um, a really good book by J.L. Collins, also known as Mr. Money Mustache, called The Simple Path to Wealth. Mm. And so anyone looking to get started with, like, investing and how they should be thinking about their future and saving their money definitely read that book there's an audiobook available um if you want to get motivated on just like financial independence and you're looking for uh, an inspiring read um rich dad poor dad oh yeah is, is a great great book also available i, I got like audio two or format. three
0: chapters in and then i that was like 2021 i was like, <laughs> 20, yeah. I don't have any money. Yeah.
1: And, 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 yeah, like you had mentioned, um, a lot of people feel like they can't invest because they don't have enough money to invest or they don't make enough money to invest. And it's not about making more money, it's about doing the best with the money that you have. Mm. So, spending less money and whatever you have in savings, investing that. Like, you can get, um, I think I saw JetBlue. You can get one stock of JetBlue for sixteen dollars. Like you can start out really small. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think Levi, like jeans, was twelve dollars mm. at one point. And there's you know stocks that are as low as as one dollar. Um, and so you can start out really small and play around with it. And that's what I did was I just took my stimulus check and that's what I put. So this was aside from my retirement account. So my retirement account, your Roth IRA. You don't touch that until after you're like 55 or something. Mm-hmm. That's all in the S&P 500. That's just going to sit there yeah. and grow. And that's something and,
0: you contribute into every month.
1: So you it? can contribute every month. So you you get maxed out at $6,000 a year, and so most people do $500 a month. Um and so
0: is that what you do it and we don't you don't have to give me specifics if you don't want to.
1: So I just started it last year, and so last year I um I started it out with putting in $2,000, and then as I was just, like, making money, then I started contributing more.
0: Like, a per- did you have, like, a set percentage, or were you doing no, it, just whatever you <laughs> it felt? No, it was
1: whatever I had at the time. Yeah. Um, You can kind of go either way with it. So, with the S&P 500, like, if you just look at, the, at, like, the history of it, it's always gone up. And with the society that we live in, like... If there is a recession, if there is a crash, like, they're always going to save the market. Like, right. that's just... As much as you want to believe that's not going to happen, they're mm-hmm. always going to save the market. And so even when it goes down, it goes up. Like, like the crash that happened in 2020, it was insane that we made a recovery after six months. Hmm. Like, and so... And that's when I got into the market, was basically right after it hit rock bottom. Um, and so I just started out with a little bit to just see, like, what would happen to it. My first opened my account, I put $2,000 in and I was like, oh my God, like, like this is a lot of money. And at first it went down and I lost like $300 and I was just like, oh, I just, I just lost $300 by just being in that account. Mm -hmm. And
0: how, how, I'm curious when you put that $2,000 in, how involved were you in choosing which companies you invested in and how much of each, did you have a broker that was helping you with that? Yeah.
1: So I, so you. So to get a Roth IRA, you want to pick out what brokerage uh, firm you want to work with. And Mm -hmm. so there's a bunch of different ones. There's, uh, I think, like Goldman Sachs, Fidelity, Fidelity. Um, I use uh, Vanguard. There's also Merrill Lynch. Um, And so these are just, just different companies that you can hold a brokerage account with. And then the Roth IRA is within that brokerage account. Um, and so then within the Roth IRA, I am invested in the S and P 500 index fund. And so the S and P 500 is already like predetermined, like Tesla, I think was recently incorporated into the S and P 500 cause it like made all the qualifications of mm-hmm. being like a top 500 company. Right. And so I essentially own just a little bit of all of those five hundred companies. Um, so your
0: money's like distributed evenly throughout each of those five hundred, or
1: yeah, essentially, yeah, okay. yeah. Um, and and so yeah, and but like there isn't there isn't like a good time to necessarily buy in to the market as opposed to buying out of the market, mm-hmm. and um, and I think Andre actually has a really good video on like, if you were to time the market uh, in comparison to all of the greatest recessions in U S history, mm-hmm. um, what would happen at each of the different time points. And in, in, in each of the time points, you still end up recovering. It's just the recover time um, is a little bit different. And then the amount of money that you make mm-hmm. is different. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's two different investing strategies. And so um, one investing strategy is, well, I'm just going to invest everything early on so because I know that over time it's going to go up, right? And so I want to get in earlier when it's cheaper so that way it goes up over time, right? Yeah. However, <laughs> the the flaw in that is that, yeah, it goes up but it also goes down, right? So I first invested that $2,000. It went down $300 mm-hmm. before going up again. There was no way for me to know that it was going to go down before going up. But if I had just invested like five hundred, and then just consistently invested five hundred over time, which is dollar cost averaging, so mm-hmm. investing the same amount over time, I could have, you know, like because it's a percentage of what you lose, and so I would have lost less, right? If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. If I had invested less at the beginning, mm-hmm. but then consistently invested, which is which is the advice that I would that I would give anybody. (laughs) So (laughs) rather than the the 200, put like a
0: 500 recurring four times. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So you definitely want to do the dollar cost averaging and just invest consistently over time Hmm. because stuff like that happens because dips happen and falls happen and you don't know if the market's going to go up or down. Um, And it's the same thing with like investing in individual stocks. Like don't invest in a stock because somebody tells you to. Don't like, jump on the bandwagon just because you think that like the stock is going to keep on going up and like some people with GameStop like they're mm-hmm. getting FOMO and they hopped in at the you know when it hit the peak and now they're just on you know a down you know yeah. down climb and yeah. losing all their money right cuz yeah. they they wanted to catch something that that they saw was going up rapidly that was being super volatile but you want to you want to go in and you want to look at companies that you that you believe in That, like, you believe in their product or, like, you think that they're providing a good service. You think that they're going to be great for the future. Mm -hmm. Like, I own a Tesla stock. Like, I think Tesla is going to go far. And so I own some Tesla. Apple products, I feel like that's evergreen. Like, they're going to make consistently some good products. Mm -hmm. Um, But I won't invest in something like Amazon or Facebook because I think that they're toxic. I I stay away from tobacco and from oil because, Mm -hmm. like, personally, like... I don't want to invest in those companies. I could make a lot of money on those companies, but like there's like, an ethical component. Yeah, there's an ethical component because um if you're invested in companies that you truly believe in their product, when they start to go down, you're more likely to hold on to them because you believe in them. And if you really have done your homework and you've and you've looked into them, they'll come back around again. Right? Like Every company falls, but then it comes back up again, mm-hmm. um, unless unless it's actually not a good company. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Um,
0: so, do you do a lot of research before buying buying a stock in a company or?
1: So I do. I do a handful of research. Mm-hmm. I'm still at the a very like basic level of doing research. I'll find so from these guys that I follow on YouTube from Graham and from Andre, mm-hmm. like um. Well, it's more Andre that's into stocks. Graham does real estate. But Andre will mention a few stocks and I'm like, oh, that sounds interesting. And then I'll go on to, um, like I'll go into Google and I'll like type in whatever the ticker symbol is or whatever the company is, read up on their products. Um, uh, early on, I got really into dividend investing. And so it's basically like you, you can make money. So there's like a few ways you can make money off stocks. One way is by growth right? So you buy it at a cheaper price, you sell it at a higher price, Mm -hmm. right? Buy low, sell high. The other way that you can make money is off of dividends. And so basically however many shares you own of, of that company. So let's say I own four shares of Apple, Mm -hmm. they will, I think it's every quarter, pay me 25 cents per share gotcha. Like just for being a shareholder. They're like, mm-hmm. "Thank you for being a shareholder. Here is your dividend. You get 25 cents like per share." And so I get a dollar. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, but that's me only having 4 shares of Apple. Um, whereas some people have like a 1000 shares of Apple. Right. And so you can see how this can compound to um it, if you're getting that paid that, you know, quarterly, like 1000 shares, you know, 25 cents every quarter. Mhm. Um and so people will have their stocks set up in such a way that they get um paid out monthly right 'cause some some dividends do pay monthly, some pay quarterly, some pay um yearly yeah exactly, and so you can stagger it in such a way with with you know mix and matching stocks that you're basically getting like a like a stipend from all of your stocks right of just like this is this is how much you made like <laughs>
0: You like it could eventually be a an income,
1: an income exactly. So all of the money that you have invested, you have to have like a lot of money invested. Mm -hmm. But eventually, the goal is to you know work from getting paid out. You know maybe like you know a dollar or ten dollars every quarter to getting ten dollars every month to getting a hundred dollars every month, and you can see how you could. And you can keep investing that money in more shares or yeah, right? It compounds.
0: That's um. Thank you first of all because like. Growing up as a poor kid, like I never understood how people made money off stocks other than the buy sell thing, which yeah. to me seemed like a lot of like inside knowledge you got to have about this stuff. And I wasn't prepared to like do it, but that makes so much sense with the dividend stuff of yeah. like, Hey, like even you're always putting making in right, a hundred bucks, yeah. you know, if it into something you believe, then you you can play around with just that money. Yeah. It's still growing, even if it's growing slow. Yeah. And uh, I can see how attractive that could be to yeah. getting me excited. I'm like, hmm.
1: I know. So there. I would definitely, like, like, again, it's not Biden, it's where's not my about, check? I'm yeah, ready to invest. It's not, <laughs> it's not about making more money. It's mm-hmm. about, like, doing the best with the money that you have mm-hmm. and saving more. And if you want to get into investing and you want to try this out, then challenge yourself for, like, 30 days. Like, give yourself a month don't eat out. Hmm. Don't order any food. Don't order any coffee. Cook at home. (laughs) Take all that money that you would have spent on like on ordering out or, you know, going shopping or buying that thing that you probably really don't need and save it Hmm. and invest that money. And once you see it, once you see that money growing, you are going to get hooked. You're like, wait, so if I don't, if I don't buy that like Ice vanilla latte or whatever Starbucks does. I don't do Starbucks, but
0: so do you. Just like when you have that thought, are you like, all right, I'm going to write that down in a book and put that amount into to invest.
1: You can you can do it that way, or do you
0: just do it by a mission? Yeah,
1: I think for me it's more. Do you have a budget?
0: Like do you, do you budgets?
1: I'm I'm still working on it. Like how much I'm allowing myself to invest. Right. Um. For me, it's more if I see that money in my account, I'll be more. Like susceptible to spend it, whereas like if the money is like in my brokerage account and invested in stocks, then I it's more difficult for me to access it because I'd have to sell a stock, and right? Then, and then in order to buy that product, for me it's more like seeing seeing something that I'm interested in buying, right? Like like an impulse buy that you know can be something as like like five dollars, maybe ten dollars, or as big as like a hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. And asking yourself, not only, like, do I really need it, but visualizing how much money you can make off of that money if you had invested it, right? And so, like, okay, I could spend this $100 now on buying, you know, this, like, new dress, or I can invest this money, and then it'll become, like, you know, $200 a couple months from now.
0: Right. Right. Which then could be $1,000. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And kind of going back to that, like minimalist lifestyle, Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of beautiful how they go hand in hand. Like they're very complimentary of just like, if you live, live below your means and recognize that you really don't need that much to survive, then you'll have more money to invest. You'll make money off of that money. And you won't have to worry about, like, about your job and where you're going to work. Like, I like how Mr. Money Mustache calls it F.U. money. Yeah. Like. (laughs)
0: That's what we all want.
1: (laughs) It's just like you can quit your job whenever you want because you have the security blanket of money to, like, get you by. Changes
0: your relationship. Yeah.
1: I mean, I'm, I'm planning, you know, when I go and do my travels, living in my van, of just living off of my investments. Like, that's the goal. I'm. All of the money that I that I've made starting last year and over this next year, so two years worth of saving and investing to take an entire year off and just live in my van and travel and not have to worry about about you know feeding myself, mm-hmm. right? And it, and it can be empowering, and it's something that like like you know wealth builds more wealth, which makes sense why you know general generational wealth is such a big issue because it's people who already have money, um and. And it's such a privilege to be in that position. And I just want, like, more people to have this knowledge and to feel empowered that if, like, I, as a grad student, can, like, in, like invest and make money, mm-hmm. like, then almost anyone can, right? Yeah. Like, even if it means doing side hustles. Like, I worked for Instacart. For a couple months over the summer, mm-hmm. and all that money just went into my um, my brokerage account. It went, it went into stocks, and I've made, like, more money off of that money. Like, I bought my first Tesla stock, I think, in, like, November, and I've already, like, made 100% of it back.
0: Nice. Paid for itself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, with, the uh, are you, like are you also selling stocks? Like, is that something that you're actively, so, so for you, it's just, you're putting money into your account and letting your brokers decide where to invest it. Is that the idea? No.
1: So I'm picking. So, okay. the, so the brokerage account is just like, like if you use Robinhood, I use Weeble. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like a bank account, yeah. right? So you have a checking account. It's a brokerage account, mm-hmm. um, where you can buy, sell and trade stocks. I, I would recommend, um, like, doing it for your for yourself. Like, unless you're, like, super rich, you don't need a financial advisor. Mm-hmm. Right? It's for, like, rich people to have other people deal with their stocks. I, I like picking my companies. Um, you can, like, um, operate as your own, um, right. like, stock trader yeah, yeah. in setting, like, limits on your stock. So, like, if the stock drops below this percent or this amount, then I want you to sell it like it. I want my account to sell it Gotcha Um you can set alerts I set alerts all the time like if this stock drops below this number or this percent I want you to let me know because then I want to buy it like cuz then it's like on, on discount and right. that's what that's what I think like people it, it's funny cuz you can kind of tell like the the more knowledgeable traders from like the more I think advanced traders cuz like the 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 or like the beginner traders even though I am a beginner trader mm-hmm. But, like, you'll, like, freak out when you see, like, a stock going down. And you're, like, oh, my God. Like, like what is happening? Like, I need to get rid mm-hmm. of this. But, like, the people who are in it for long-term investing as opposed to, like, or I guess day traders. Right? Because they just want to buy at the beginning and then sell at the end of the day. Um, but if you're doing long-term, if you're holding for long-term, if you see things going down, like, in my mind, I'm, like, oh, everything's on sale. Like right. the discount. Like, right. the market is crashing. It's a big yeah, discount. Yeah. I'm going to now go and buy more of it. And one of the common like quotes to live by in like the stock investing world is um be greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy. And so if you see a bunch of people buying a stock and like talking it up and like being really greedy about it, maybe you don't want to get mm-hmm. <laughs> in on that stock. But if you see people getting afraid on a product that you believe in, um, and you think that this is just a short time fall and you're, and you're holding for the long term, then buy it. It's all on discount. It's all on sale. I mean, right. that, that happened to me that worked to my advantage. Like when I bought into the stock market, as it was crashing down, like I, I didn't, people said that they didn't know if they had hit bottom yet. Mm. And my friends told me, they're like, we don't even know if this is, you know, if this is bottom and you're going to buy in right now. Right. And I'm like, yeah. Cause like, it's going to go up eventually.
0: Right. You're yeah. That belief in the system.
1: Yeah, and belief and belief in those companies. In the companies.
0: Too. Nice. Well, Alyssa, we just did like two hours, I think. Or more. <laughs> Let's see where well, at. you
1: got me on a lot of the a it. lot of the good talk yeah, topics totally. that I can rant about.
0: Um before we end things, and thank you so much by the way for coming on and talking <laughs> and sharing all your wisdom and knowledge and your edging me forward I, I might be making a call to you to be like hey i want to like get into it can just you help a little me bit get just, just get your yeah. toe
1: wet yeah you don't need yeah. you really don't need that well, if we do get
0: the second round of stimulus checks that's something i'll be looking into maybe putting that into it but uh our third round i guess um how can people find you reach out uh connect with you if you want to be connected you know find your research are there, are there where can people go to to find Alyssa's stuff?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I am like funny, like relatively active on LinkedIn. Okay. <laughs> so professional, nice. professional networking or emails you can get me through LinkedIn. Just Alyssa Borman, A L Y S S A B O R M A N N. Um, if you're interested in more of the like hobbyist nature, <laughs> nature aspects. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have an Instagram um which is at Sun and so it's c a l y s s a and then n and um I just decided to put my name in the middle of a c and an n cuz it sounded like California sun. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> I was always wondering about that. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So nice. that was
1: my like super cheesy <laughs> way of making my Instagram <laughs> nice handle. Little yeah. Um but yeah, and then, and then my van adventures it, that that one's pretty minimal for now because 'cause it, it'll be another year before I actually start doing my travels, but that's at ventures with Vera
0: I hear that that you know it's it's low right now, so it's a good time to get in you know there's gonna be some long term returns on that account if you uh yeah, <laughs> but now where it's low, you know later uh, i'm I'm projecting a lot of growth yeah <laughs> um, over of years with that with yeah that particular... yeah
1: and if any again, like I feel like a summary of this is just like if you you want to get into van life, you want to travel, you don't have the money, just start investing, <laughs> like live below your means, invest yeah. your money, and then you can live off your investments Holla. like while while you're in your van, um, right
0: get it well, thanks again for coming on. It's so good to connect with you and see you and uh be checking in on you and um i'm just wishing you all the best with your research and with your investing and uh yeah thanks
1: thank you so yeah thank you so much for having me i was excited to catch up with you and do my first podcast ever oh (laughs)
0: look at that and we got it here exclusive first time ever on the podcast well thank you Alyssa, and uh until the next time all the best all right there we go Pretty edifying, huh? Pretty electrifying. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, thank you so much, Alyssa, for coming on. Um, I will never look at a fish's mouth in the same way again. Be looking for that uh, pharyngeal jaw. And, uh, you know, I appreciate you coming on and and teaching me something. That's a, a gift that keeps on giving. And, uh, definitely had some good takeaways from this that I will be trying to apply to my life. Um, yeah, y'all hope y'all enjoyed it. Um, and go check out Alyssa on her Instagram. Let her know if you loved it. Um, she's super friendly, super awesome and, uh, grateful she came on. So we got another one I'm going to be releasing in the next week and uh, excited for it and excited to keep providing y'all with uh, the Hobart content. Um, as always, you can reach out on Instagram at Young Hobart um, or I think our email that I check maybe once a month, the Bartcast Mailbox at gmail.com. Please send me guest recs or questions, comments. Uh, when y'all reach out to me, it it feels really good, and I I'm really grateful for it. It it, it feels good to feel connected to people, and uh, makes me feel like this thing has some life. And um, so, thank you to everybody that has been reaching out and giving me your comments or people that want to connect. Um, really appreciate it, and. You know, every week I'm looking to book a new guest. So if you know someone, you're like, oh, this person would be great for this. Uh, you know, connect us, reach out, let me know. Um. Yeah, one la- one last thing I wanted to talk about that was pretty cool. Uh, I got, I don't know if any of you have heard of Clubhouse, this new kind of flavor of the month app that uh, all the techies are talking about. Um. I got invited on by my friend Forrest and I've kind of been playing around with it. It's pretty cool. It kind of seems like it could be a thing. It's kind of like, um, for those of you, my age that remember chat rooms back in the day ASL. Um, this is kind of like the podcast version of that. It's these large or not always large, but it's these rooms. You can go in that, uh, there's a couple moderators and people that are invited in as speaker's And it's just these big conversations and people can sit in as audience members. You can raise your hand uh, to be invited into the conversation. Um, And it's, it's a really cool new art form. I know they've, there's been all sorts of different uses of the platform. Um, I think they did a a live performance of the lion King in one of the rooms. Um, I've been in a couple of the conversations and it's inspiring just to see how humans orient to a new platform and just the amazing ideas that people come up with. Um, I think right now it's invite only. So it's it's kind of interesting. It feels kind of exciting to be part of like this exclusive, uh, group, but I'm sure it'll be opening to the public very shortly. And, um, I don't know. I found it interesting. Uh, that's it. That's the show. Thanks to y'all for ch- tuning in. And, uh, Until the next time, be well, my friends, and to thine own selves be true. Much love.